What's happening, everyone? Welcome to the Paranormies. I am Johnny Monoxide, and tonight, a very special show for you. Joining me this evening, Reinhard von Krieger. What's up? Oh, not much. Excited for tonight. Been looking forward to it all week. Yes, sir. Uh, also joining us from the land of the rising sun, Alt Skull. Hello. Hey, I'm also extremely excited for this episode. Oh, yeah, man. And down in the dungeon, taking notes, Grognak, the intern. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Uh, can you still hear tonight, dude? <laughs> the ears are ringing a little. My ears are still ringing a little bit, too, yeah. Eh. All right. We are here, yes. Grognak and I uh, went to a concert last night, and uh, it was quite loud. Very, very loud. We went to see Cannibal Corpse in Whitechapel. Very, very jealous. Yes. And come to find out, it was the original guitar player for the the for Cannibal Corpse. It was basically their original lineup minus uh, Barnes, the murderer. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw the were, picture of the set list you sent last night. Dude, we luckily just ended up right behind the soundboard, like the sweetest spot for sound in the entire venue. It was great. It was great. Love you it. didn't forget your Vax Pass, did you? No Vax Pass required. No, surprising for Massachusetts, you know, but good. Yeah. Um, no mask. I did see some people wearing masks. It was kind of funny. I was like, you know, you're, you're there and you're like a hardcore metal outfit in your mask. You look like a fag, but you know, <laughs> it's all good. Um, you know, Whitechapel came out and played a 40 minute breakdown. It was great. It was a little it's a hell of a breakdown though. That was just, yeah, it's, they did their, they did their breakdown set. So, cause it was, a, you know, you have, Cannibal Corpse and um, Revocation, it's all like death metal. They couldn't, right. they couldn't do their new singy stuff, which is fine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm still excited. It was a great show, man. I haven't seen Cannibal Corpse in probably 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a great time. Um, but this is, not, this is not why we're here this evening. We are here this evening because all of us have been reading a lot. You know, we do a lot of reading for the show. We do a lot of prep. Um, but we all got into a certain guy's books. Uh, one of them is called The Alchemical Tech Revolution, and the other one is called Cybernetic Messiah. His new book is not just came out. It's called The Demic of Pan, Breaking the Natural Order. His name is Ma- Wayne McCroy. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it's a miracle you guys could still hear after being at that concert last night. Oh, uh, man. I- I'd imagine that was probably pretty loud where you were sitting, so th- that's good. I'm an old school metalhead myself, so uh, uh, you know I can appreciate that. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of old school people there last night. Some elder people would call elderly uh, some olds, but I was I'm there. I'm, I'm I was the oldest of my group, so it was a good time though, man. It was a really good time. But um, we have we have all read we have all read the Alchemical Tech Revolution. I don't know if everybody's read Cybernetic Messiah yet. I have um Reinhard, have. did you finish it? Uh yes. Yeah, I finished it. Oh geez. After Altemico Tech Revolution, I burned through Cybernetic Messiah in about a week. All right. And Skull you, Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I burned through it immediately. <laughs> as soon as I could, as soon as I got it from you guys for Christmas, it was done. They're they're very easy books to read, man. Especially when it's content like this. We have been on the uh, transhumanism thing for quite a while. Last year, we did a couple of episodes. We did a series on transhumanism. We'll probably delve back into this 
that this season. Um, but what what inspired you to to go down this path with your writing? Well, uh, you know, to make a long story short, uh, it started out uh, basically in my youth. I was always kind of intrigued with paranormal type topics and uh, things of that nature, uh, specifically UFOs. Uh, so uh, actually what really set me on this journey of uh, you know, writing books and this kind of thing was uh, it actually happened back in 2006 when I had a UFO encounter. Uh, I was driving home from my mom's house. And I had my oldest son with me, who at the time was about 12 or 13 years old. And as we were coming over the mountain, because, uh, you know, to get home from my mom's, we it took a shortcut and drove over the mountain. When we got up towards the top of the mountain, uh, this craft just flew overhead very slowly. Couldn't have been going more than maybe 20 or 30 miles an hour. And it was clearly a metallic craft. It was square shaped. And it had... Uh, one light on each corner, a white light on each corner, and one big red light in the center. And it was only maybe about 30 or 40 feet above the treetops. So we pulled over to the side of the road, and at the time I had a car with a power moonroof. And we opened the moonroof and watched it go right over our head, and it was totally silent. Uh, so ever since that, that really set me out on a search, uh, exploring specifically at that point the UFO topic and uh, just all the different rabbit trails it took me down in the process was astounding. And, uh, you know, I, I like to tell people that I accidentally became an expert in occult philosophy because of this. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I, I got started on this whole trail. Uh, so, you know, there were a couple of different events in my life that really uh, got me researching more. Um, the second thing that got me really researching some of these more uh, technological type avenues of things is actually uh, in 2008, uh, my second child was born and... Uh, he had a severe reaction to a vaccine, and he wound up developing autism. Huh. So that sent me searching down another road. And by the way, gentlemen, I don't know if you're aware, I do have another book out there. It's called uh, The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. And that's actually the second book that I wrote. Huh. Uh, that That's available, too, if you wanted to check that one out, because that one uh, I think is one of the more important things that I've written. But it does tend to... Uh, kind of get pushed to the bottom of the listings for some reason, because I think there's certain, you know, people out there that don't want that type of information out in the public, <clears throat> big pharma, uh, but <laughs> we'll get into that uh, too much. But, oh, we can uh, get into that. We, we Oh we, yeah. Oh, if we get into all kinds of stuff on this show. Um, speaking of, you know what? I lied. I completely forgot. I hate to interrupt you here, but um, sp there was one bit of, do you guys, should we do it at the end? The Zencast thing? I totally forgot about that. Oh, we'll just do it at the end. It'll be okay. 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 He just reminded me about like, you know, things we can and can't talk about. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, we actually can talk about anything we want to on the show. This is our show. We talk about whatever. Um, and we're, we're working on um, not being censored, basically. But yeah, I can right. see Amazon pushing your stuff to the bottom, especially the autism stuff, especially now with all this stuff going on with the vaccines. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's it, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. And we all kind of struggle with that because uh, uh, I actually I have had a YouTube channel. I still have it, but I barely do anything with it because of the censorship. Uh, so I primarily moved over to Rockfin now, if you're familiar with that platform Not at all. Not Rockfin, no. 
Rockfin. Yeah, it's R O K F I N, and uh, okay. I, I could send you the links and stuff later if you want yeah, to put perfect. them below. Yeah, but be I, yeah. I have a, a, my own channel on Rockfin, and I discuss a lot of this. It's called Alchemical Tech Revolution. Uh, so you know, it's it's actually turned into something more than just the original book I wrote. Uh, so I talk about all kinds of things on there, uh, and that's also the name of the YouTube channel. You could probably pull that up. If you were interested in checking that out as well, but I, I talk about all kinds of different topics, and I, I totally understand. I mean, it is the nature of the beast with the censorship and stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you want to reach the most people, you kind of have to use some of these platforms. Oh yeah, in in order to uh, you know to reach the people. Uh, so you know, I I made the move over to Rockfin, and not regretting it at all. It's a much better platform. Nice. Uh, I could say whatever I want on there and not worry about censorship. Uh, and it's also a great deal for people because uh, if you actually sign up on there, and there's there's free content, and then there's premium content on there. So I post a lot of free content on there too, but there's also premium content. And if you sign up for the premium content, it costs nine ninety nine a month. And not only do you get my premium content, you get all the premium content from all the other content creators on the platform, oh. uh, all for that same price. So it's a great deal if people want to check that out. And there's a lot of really awesome uh, content creators on that platform. Uh, also, uh, you know, one I work very closely with is uh, Secrets of Saturn channel over there. That's my good friend Jason Lindgren, who's the co-host of the Crow Triple Seven podcast, uh, Tro- Crow Triple Seven Radio, and I I'm a frequent Crow. guest and contributor there as well. So uh, there's a lot of places people can hear me talk if they're interested in doing so. And I appreciate you guys having me on because this is a new audience for me, and uh, you know, it's it's good to that we all kind of cross paths like this. Absolutely. Yes. We're, uh, glad to have you. Um, I know we got really excited over, over those books, but you're, you've, you've got so much other stuff besides just the alchemical tech revolution. But let's, let's start with that. Let's start with that. Was that, that was your first book? That was my very first book. Yes. All right. Um, I know Reinhardt and Skull have been dying to ask you some questions. So I'm going to let, I'm going to, I'm going to let them go first. So, okay. Sounds good. You guys fight over it first. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I will. I'll just. I. So when I read your book, this is Skull, by the way. When I read your book, I just highlighted. I basically used up one highlighter on your book and uh, a bunch of little notes and stuff I made. And uh, I would just thought I would read some and I have some questions about some of them and other parts I just agree with. And I thought maybe if you'd want to expand on a few of those. Um, one of the very first, like it, it's the opener of the book, but it's something that I've been very interested in a long time because I think a lot about how the, about the motivations behind the people who are operating this thing, who are controlling this thing. I don't, I don't really like to call them elites, but they are controlling things. And on page 36, you wrote that their objective is to invert all of these natural laws and shatter the barriers put in place by God almighty and thus usurp him from his throne. And, um, it just, uh, I wondered if you, I mean, that's a, a good place to start, I think, as what, what do you think the motivate, the real motivations, uh, behind the people that are operating this thing are? Well, when you actually delve deep into researching the topic itself, it always, always, and invariably, and as much as, you know, people might not want to hear it, it always ties back to the occult and it all ties back to, uh, what's known as the ancient mystery schools. And when you go back, you know, through history, through time, uh, you could delve into the teachings of these different mystery schools and how they came about. 
And you find it's always invariably the same themes there. Uh, now, this has to do with the old science we would call alchemy, okay? And a lot of people misunderstand what that is. And that's kind of one of the premises I go at uh, in the first book. Uh, alchemy uh, is a it's not that backwards uh, precursor to chemistry that most people are taught that it is. There's a lot more to it. It's a spiritual form of science, okay? And it was understood by more people back in the ancient times. Uh, this gives you a truer description of how nature operates, of the natural world. So what has happened in, you know, through the course of time and all these things is uh, a group of dark occultists took control of a lot of this information that was known about alchemy and about all these different things, these secret teachings, so to say. And they hid them away uh, within these mystery schools, what started as mystery schools, and later morphed into what we would call secret societies today. Uh, so they And they have passed down this information um, all through time, all the way up until today. And many of the precepts are the same. And the problem with it is, is they've taken these old alchemical sciences and they've inverted them. All right. They've they've turned them backwards from what their original good intention was, and they turn them towards something bad uh, that would fulfill their own personal agendas and give them power over others. And that's largely what's taught uh, through these different secret society groups is the, the science of how to control others and how to use these different natural energies that are inherent here that people don't understand anymore. But the ancients had a better grasp of uh, and they're, they're trying to use this. For the purpose of totally inverting the natural world around us and turning it into something completely artificial. And we see this uh, with our rise in modern technologies here. And that's basically the whole premise of, of why and how many of these things have come about. Uh, because I, I have the viewpoint here that many of these modern technologies and stuff we have, these advanced technologies, they don't operate exactly how they tell us. Okay, there's different principles and stuff involved in their operation, and we're taught all the wrong things about a lot of these things. Uh, so that's the premise I come from with this. There's there's different underlying factors uh, that really make these things operational and work, and they're not telling us that. Uh, and, you know, uh, many people in the special access pro pro programs and stuff like that within the uh, um, black budget community, so to say, will tell you that there's a secret physics that they know of and work with uh, within those different communities. And it doesn't line up with what our, you know, mainstream model of that is. And that's why they've always had these problems, um, you know, within mainstream physics of trying to explain things. And they had to come up with uh, two different models for it, the general relativity model and then the quantum uh, type model, uh, one for the micro, one for the macro. And this flies in the face of one of the old, you know, very m most well known of these old alchemical principles. And I'm sure you guys have probably heard it before. It's called as above, so below, mm -hmm. as within, so without. So all of these things are models of one another. So things that happen on a microcosm happen at a macrocosm too. Uh, so to say that there's a different set of uh, laws of nature that operate, uh, say, at the quantum level and then there are at the uh, macro level that we see here is a misnomer. And it's... Uh, it's a perversion of the old alchemical sciences, and that's one of the purposes for this whole quantum science uh, type of thing. 
So, uh, you know, when you look at quantum science, are they actually doing stuff with this quantum science? Well, yes, they are. But I don't think it's operating on the same principles that they're telling us. Uh, I think it operates in a different fashion than what they're saying. And they just throw out this idea of uh, all these different microparticles and stuff like this, these un unseeable, unknowable microscopic particles that we could never confirm even exist. The only place that you could uh, even observe them is in a computer program. So uh, a lot of these ideas are, well, let's put it this way. The, the, the descriptions of these things they put out are disingenuous at best uh, in most of these cases. Uh, so the things we've been taught, and this is, this is the thing that's hardest for most people to grasp, is most of what we've ever been taught in our lives is a lie or it's wrong <laughs> or it's misguided. And when you go back with a fresh set of eyes and look at this stuff, and start thinking outside the box and trying to like disengage from those things you've been indoctrinated with from youth, you start to see the world a little bit differently. And it's really eye-opening. And that's kind of the perspective I come from with this. And I hope I didn't ramble too long and really lose the question there. But uh, I hope that, that uh, you kind of get the idea of uh, you know what I'm talking about here. Because uh, a lot of this stuff at its core ties back to some of these ancient sciences and, you know, uh, what we would call the ancient mystery schools and how they, they took a hold of this knowledge and kept it from the public for the purpose of control and for inverting this natural order into something artificial that they can control and that they can become the gods of this place, which is their ultimate goal. Well, that's, that's definitely true. You can see that happening everywhere. I mean, and you, and they'll even tell you, like guys like Jordy Rose, the um, I can't remember the name of the AI company that he founded, but he, D Wave. D Wave. Well, he's yeah. a D Wave guy. Is it D Wave? Is his company? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So he gets out there and he says things like, "Well, you know, the conspiracy theorists say that we're out there, you know, punching holes in other dimensions and talking to interdimensional beings." I mean, kind of we are, but like whatever, you know. It's like, wait a second, did you just say kind of we actually are? Yeah, that's, they tell you what they're doing. Um, and again, like you said. These things are subatomic particles, and the source is, trust me, bro, this computer program is showing you exactly what it looks like. Like the CGI exactly. machine. Yeah, that's like the same thing with the spike proteins with the coronavirus, right? You, you, the only time you've ever seen one is when the CGI machine, known as a, um electron microscope, shows you. So exactly. That's that's the whole premise. I mean, it's like, take our word for this. This is this is what this looks like. Right. Uh, it's not it, it, it flies in the face of what they call science. Now, science originally was intended by the scientific method, which means that it's observable, first of all, and it's repeatable, second of all. And those are two primary criteria for calling something, quote unquote, science. And yet they defy that all the time, uh, because many of these things, they're, they're not repeatable or observable. Uh, for the most part, by not even only by your average person, but by most scientists. And that's another reason why science is so specialized, is so that they could kind of keep these deceptions going, in a sense, because they teach these people, okay, this is the tool you use, here's an electron microscope. Yeah, an electron microscope's a real thing. But you know what? An electron microscope does not look at living things. No. It does not. <laughs> that's what people don't understand about that. Uh, they They have to take tissue, and they... Um, they preserve the tissue with some type of preservative and usually some kind of a stain so that they could observe it. And it's a metallic stain. And that's how the electron microscope works. So when you're looking at this, this is basically, it's kind of like a shadow 
of what was once a living thing that's there. Right. Uh, so it's hard to really make any true observations on that. Uh, so th- that's the thing. So when they're looking at this and they're interpreting what they think they see, well, that might be something totally different from what the reality is. And and that's the whole point here with a lot of this this stuff. And uh, when it comes down to the subatomic particle thing, that, that's not even on the, the scope of, a, of an electron microscope. That's pretty much a computer program telling you yeah. uh, what this mathematic variable is, and that's about it. Uh, so, you know, if you're, you're using that as your basis for reality, well, it's kind of flawed to begin with because it's not something that's truly observable. All you're doing is crunching numbers. And, you know, there's a place and a time to use numbers. Math is great for uh, trying to describe things, but it does not give an adequate, uh, um, you know, basis for what many of these things truly are. Uh, so that's that's kind of the approach I've taken with this. You really got to start thinking outside the box. And, and that's a lot of the problem. We've been so ingrained in society here, in, indoctrinated with many of these things. Like, do you trust the science? Mm-hmm. I mean, look look at what the science has brought us these past two years, the, the quote-unquote science. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's really it, – it becomes – mind-boggling when you really begin to view it for what it truly is and it's it's just used as a moniker or a uh, a, a descriptor to try to make you believe something is absolutely 100% true they say it's it's science science says so well the experts all agree you know it's it's consensus based upon um, whatever their agenda is pretty much and that's absolutely true and the science science is now religion and your scientists are now your priest class. And as a matter of fact, if you take the first letters in the, <laughs> the scientific method, purpose, research, hypothesis, experiment, analysis, conclusion, you rearrange them, it becomes preach. I mean, it's like, it's right there, right there in front of you. Um, and again, and, you know, and if you deny the science, you're a heretic and you'll be shunned from society. And <laughs> it's, it's weird how they've, they've completely inverted religion and science. I mean, it's not weird. It's just that's that's what they've done. Yeah, and the the macro is the same as the micro with mm-hmm. the as above, so below principle, where they've made everything <clears throat> that's absolutely tiny and minuscule unobservable. You you don't have the ability to observe it yourself because you don't own a, an electron microscope. And you know, even setting aside if the electron microscope could show you what they claim that it's going to show you there's no way for you to access that or for the layman to access any of that stuff so you just have to trust the little spiky ball pictures big scary pictures that they put on the news all the time and then at the macro level it's infinite space and infinite um, time and millions and billions of years and the big bang and that just happens to be a reflection of this Kabbalistic creation story as well. But, you know, just set that aside for a second. Don't worry about that. All of these things that are these grand, the grandest of grand deceptions that are being used to control the entire world now are things that are not actually observable by the common man. Huh. Well, Nick. Oh. <clears throat> go ahead. Right oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was, oh, was going to say, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep talking over you. <laughs> oh, it's all right. Um, I was going to say they've, uh, they've inverted what the reality is that they're this world exists in order right everything exists with a natural created intelligently created order but they've inverted that for like skull said the big bang uh kabbalistic narrative which is the chaos out or out of chaos comes order um, yes. instead oh, of yeah. chaos being sown in the midst of order 
Uh, everything was chaos, and now here is our order. And that order is, you know, they compartmentalize both the micro, the micro and the macro uh, away from us, the layman, and even among their own priest class. Oh, absolutely. And they do that on purpose because, you see, um, I heard somebody quote, uh, I don't remember who exactly it is. Uh, it says, there is profit in chaos. Uh, so that that's exactly why they do that. The more chaos, the more profit. See, so that that's one of the things. If you want to trace it just down to like the whole follow the money type narrative, well, that's one reason why some of the like the lower level or the mid metal mid level managers of this grand conspiracy why they do the things they do. But uh, at the topmost levels, it goes way beyond just monetary thinking or anything like that. But you're absolutely correct. Uh, they have tried to uh, twist. Uh, the idea that this this place was created by a creator and that uh, poof one day there was nothing and then nothing exploded and became everything and it was all by a grand accident and then here we are uh, yeah. you know the gases started to settle and they formed into solids and then all of a sudden primordial life sprang up and it found something to mate with and mysteriously turned into everything else and mm -hmm. evolved into everything else through millions and billions of years uh, and, and none of these things, like we were discussing earlier, are observable or repeatable. So this is not truly science. This is a belief system, and it's a belief system that uh, derives itself from Kabbalah, as uh, you know, you guys had mentioned, which derives itself from an older belief system that goes back to these ancient mystery schools that go as far back as we could see in the historical narrative. And the other problem we have with a lot of this stuff is much of our history is misdescribed to us. We don't really have an accurate view as to what truly happened in this world going back thousands and thousands of years. Uh, we only have whatever records have come forward. We don't. And, yeah. you know, as you know, it's it's the uh, winner of the conflict that writes the history books. Uh, so, you know, with that being said, we're getting a skewed view of these things at best. Most definitely. Um, we can't even tell for a fact, like, not even ancient history, but recent history as far back as the early 1900s is most likely fake. Oh, yeah. No doubt it. about it. I mean, that's the thing. Um, you know, with much of the older generation dying off now, mm -hmm. I know my grandparents describe things to me that look different than what the history books now say. And, you know, just from the years I see... You know, what they're teaching my kids in school and history class and stuff like that. Many things have changed from the time I was in school. Oh, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, and this is revisionist history. This is how it's done. Yep. Uh, George Orwell wrote about this in 1984. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the thought police and all of that stuff. It's all a reality. Uh, that was an allegory. Uh, George Orwell, his real name was Eric Blair, mm -hmm. and he was actually an insider with British intelligence. Uh, so he knew the writing was on the wall. And he wrote this, and you know, you could argue up and down. Did he write it as a uh, a warning to people, or did he write it as a, a playbook? <laughs> so, I mean, you could look at it from either side. Why but, not both? Uh, I'm sorry. I said, why not both? Yeah, why not both? Yeah. And perhaps it was intended to be both. And you, you see a lot of this with some of these authors from back in that era who were tied in heavily with uh, mm -hmm. these movers and shakers, the uh, with Huxley people in the Royal Society. Yeah, Aldous yeah. Huxley, uh, his his book, uh, Brave New World, is one of these other 
types of playbooks that they they go by. Uh, so you could pick: Do you want your 1984 or your uh, Brave New World? Do you want to be doped up and be happy with your slavery, or do you want a boot stomping on your face for eternity? Well, that's, <laughs> so, they've decided. Uh, they've decided that they're going to go with both. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they go. With so that's what happened. Well, you know, I believe it was at Harvard. Was it Harvard University or Yale University? One of the two. They had two societies where they would debate which uh, which dystopian, nightmarish future would would actually take place: the Huxley version or the Orwell version, and. I think that I think the CIA and the Skull and Bones are like, nah, fuck it, we'll do both. Like, <laughs> well, they, they like both books sold so well. Let's just do both. It'll be a boot stomping on your overly medicated face forever. Well, and then and then you got Julian Huxley's brothers, one of the, uh, oh, yeah. the preeminent transhumanists of the 20th century. Julian Huxley, who's somehow related to Greta Thunberg, yeah. Amazing how all these people run in the same circles. It's isn't so it? weird, Wayne. And I'm just gonna go ahead and call you Wayne, if that's okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, all right. Um, we're that's that's how it is around here. We're just we're all we're all on first name basis, we're just hanging out. Um, but that's seriously like they decided. Well, we like you know the drugs and the 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 police state are great. You know, let's 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 let them chop body parts off too. You know, or make them chop body parts off. I think now that it's going to be. I think Sam Hine didn't go far enough with state enforced homosexuality. I think it's going to be state enforced transhumanism. Well, they, they go for the coercion tactics more than anything else. We see that uh, with the events of the past two years, mm. especially. And there's a reason for this. And I, I call this metaphysical consent. Uh, it's a principle that these people, uh, whenever they're trying to, uh, you know, try to convince you to do something or, or try to force you to do something, they have to, first of all, tell you what they're doing and get your consent to do this to you. And one of the primary ways they do this is through something called predictive programming, or it's also called revelation of the method. Okay, And uh, what this is, is they will actually put it out in the form of entertainment first, and you will see this in entertainment. And then a couple of years later, it starts to become the, the normal reality or the accepted thing. Uh, so their premise here, and this is the way these people, these dark occultists who run this world, this is how they see it. They see your... Uh, not objecting to what they're showing you here in the entertainment. If you don't object to that, they see that as your tacit consent to have that done to you. And that's the premise that they operate on. And this this goes back to the whole idea of karma or karmic principles as well. So, I mean, there's some real metaphysical sciences and stuff behind this. Uh, but this is kind of a loophole they've built into things, and they, they do other stuff, too, as far as uh, ritualistic things mm -hmm. uh, to try to bypass this karma that they incur on themselves. Mm -hmm. It's a natural principle. Uh, it's, it's one of the natural laws that runs this place. The Bible describes it as you reap what you sow, right. and it's an absolute 100% natural law that's, that's been set in motion here by the Creator. Uh, so they, they try to do these things to skirt around that or find loopholes for that mm. kind of thing. And this is one of the ways that they do that. That's why it's, you know, entertainment is such a, a heavy thing in society. Why, why do they pay actors so much? Why do they pay athletes so much? Uh, think about that. I mean, these are people that are performing social engineering, and that's what it's all about. Uh, they're put there in this place, in this position, to engineer public consent and engineer the public consciousness, so to say. Uh, it's it's social engineering, and that's, uh, you know, probably the most descriptive term of what it is that they do. And the, it's all put there uh, 
for a reason. And there's a lot a, of, always these occult ties to it as well. Sorry, go a, ahead. I have a question about that, if you if you don't mind. Sure. Um, do you think that a lot of the predictive programming and the creation of art based upon the future that they want to see happen, that they want to see um, created, has a, a sort of creative principle when it's put in the minds of millions of people, like not just the idea of getting people to consent, but actually a co-creation of um, the reality that they're trying to forge? Oh, absolutely. And this this ties back to a hermetic principle called the, the hermetic principle of mentalism or the, the principle of mind, wherein mind precedes all. See, mind precedes everything. Your perception of reality uh, precedes the reality. Uh, so uh, this old principle states that everything forms in it as a thought first and then manifests in reality. So if they're uh, utilizing people's energies and directing people's energies towards this idea, in some sense it becomes real to them. And, and I, I'll go ahead and I'll cite the events of the past two years to try to prove the point with this. And this is one of the things that I actually lay out in my new book. Um, what they did is back in the beginning, if you'll think back to uh, December of 2019, okay, this is when the very first case of this novel coronavirus hit, okay? So back at that time, they, they discovered this new flu-like illness. They weren't sure what it was at that point. Uh, and they pinned all different dates and times and stuff to the being the first case. But uh, the original one they reported actually occurred December 1st, 2019, okay? And I'm going to go on a little side tangent here because a lot of this stuff is important uh, for anybody who understands any of these occult-type principles. Exactly 44 days before that, on October 18th, 2019, was the Johns Hopkins Event 201 uh, hosted there at Johns Hopkins. And uh, it was actually uh, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. And they held this exercise at Johns Hopkins that day, which was a simulation of, get this, a pandemic coronavirus uh, the very thing that came about just 44 days later, and the number 44 is very important uh, for different occult reasons, uh, which I, I don't know if I want to touch on right here just for time's sake. Uh, but to, to bring this whole thing forward, let's skip ahead a little. So December 1st, 2019 was when the first originally reported case came about. Well, later on, they went back and they revised what this first case was. Right. Because not only this first case on December 1st, but then there were 13 other cases of this that came about and they didn't relate back to the fish market that they were then starting to report as the origin for this thing. So they revised the, the, the very first case of this to December 8th, 2019, which was seven days later. OK. And some of this is, you know, um, minutia of of these different facts and stuff like that. But it's important, and it's important for a reason, because they're trying to invoke different archetypes uh, into the narrative. So they needed this thing to originate at the fish market. Uh, so they said, you know, it came from bats, and somebody got it at the wet market, the fish market there, and then it started passing around the world that way. Well, there's a reason that they revised uh, that, that start date with it, okay? So... That takes away the first 14 cases of this, okay? Um, and 14 is another important occult number because that's actually the number of uh, 
the lost word of Freemasonry if people want to delve into that a little further. But for time's sake, I won't get into the, the you know, gematria and numerology of all of it. But uh, so what they did is they tied this whole thing to the fish market. And this ties directly to uh, what I, I have, you know, explored, the idea I explored in my new book. Uh, they're trying to create a new modern mythology with this thing, something based upon, quote-unquote, science, okay, the mythology of science. Uh, so they also attached the uh, archetype of Pan to this, and uh, they're, they're utilizing a, uh, a principle that I call the Pan-Christ dynamic here, uh, which talks about the crossover of ages. And uh, I'll speak a little on that first, because if, if you go back— uh, there's a story told by Plutarch, okay, and this is recorded as you know a historical narrative as well as uh, a myth. Uh, so it's claimed that this happened. Well, there was a ship captain named Thamus who was sailing his ship around the Isle of Paxi on his way back to Greece, and uh, he heard a disembodied voice calling his name from the ocean where he was sailing on. Well, unbeknownst to him at the time, everybody who was on the ship heard it too, calling his name. Okay. Well, he thought he was nuts, so he, he heard it a second time, and then he listened. It told him, when you get uh, offshore of Greece, announce that the great god Pan is dead. So he thought he was hearing things. So he, he said to himself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. If I get back uh, by shore and the weather is bad, I'm not going to announce this. Um, or But if I get back and the weather is nice then I will make this announcement to the people on the land. So he gets back offshore, and the weather's nice. So he goes ahead, and he decides to announce it. Now, keep in mind, everybody on the ship heard this, too. Uh, but he didn't know that until after he got uh, back to Greece. Uh, so then he announced the great god Pan is dead, and there was wailing and lamenting and stuff like this. Well, here's the important point of this whole narrative here, okay, this whole story from Plutarch. This occurred during the time of Christ, when Christ was alive and walking the earth. Uh, so many of the early Christian mystics and the Christian theologians understood that this was the announcement of a new age. The age of Pan was over, or the age of Ares was over, and this was the, the birth of Christ and the rise of the Messiah and the, uh, the advent of a new age, the age of Pisces. Thus why they had to uh, tie this to the fish market. Okay, so this is a uh, this whole pan Christ dynamic, as I call it. It's a window of opportunity. It's a uh, what it represents is it represents a window in the changeover of ages, and they're doing the same thing here, but in reverse with this new mythology that they're crafting with quote unquote science being the god. Uh, so they they're using they invoked pan in the idea of a pandemic because they could have called it an epidemic, couldn't they? Or, you know, something similar to that or, you know, an, an outbreak. Or, but they changed the definition of what a pandemic is just a short time before this. And there's just so many things pre-echoing this, too, uh, that I get into in the book. But, uh, you know, for time's sake, we'll kind of skip over all that here for now, unless you guys have more specific questions. But um, so essentially what they've done is they've crafted this narrative to be a new mythology of sorts. And this is something that's actually acknowledged uh, within uh, some of the different uh, white papers and policy planning books and stuff that these people put out, these, these you know, think tank groups. Uh, in fact, there's one called Changing Images of Man, 
which I actually cite in the book where it talks about how they use different things like archetypes and uh, metaphors and mythology to steer and control public opinion on things because there are certain things that they can't objectively um, quantify and control. So they have to use something more subjective. So they acknowledge that they leverage mythological archetypes uh, to instill different ideals into people's minds. Uh, so this is exactly what's been done through this whole thing. Uh, so, you know, that's that's basically the premise of what the new book is about, uh, how they've done this. And then I also uh, list a lot of different uh, um, sources where it shows that there was pre-planning involved with all of it. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the whole premise that uh, that whole narrative comes by. So this directly relates to the idea that, uh, you know, first – it's a thought, okay? It's implanted in the minds of people, and they bring it to fruition. Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, early 2020 and all through 2020, I didn't personally know anybody who got sick with and or died from this coronavirus thing, right? But then we see the ramp up in 2021 once they roll out the vaccine. Um, so, and that's when it really started hitting people. And it really hit people hard this past December now and into January here. Uh, so, in my view, what they've actually done is they've implanted this idea into the minds of people, and because people believe it and act upon it as if it's a real thing, at that time, in my view, it wasn't a real thing, okay? Um, but because people react to it and act upon it as if it's a real thing, it kind of helps to create it in reality, in a sense. And then what they did is they, they developed this vaccine in record-breaking time. Uh, which they, you know, I, I have all kinds of problems with that narrative too. But, and then they they rolled this out to the public, and then lo and behold, people really started getting sick with this thing that didn't exist previously. But now all of a sudden it does, and they rolled it out in the vaccine. Uh, so that's the <laughs> that's my view as to what happened there, and I I think that's a more a, you know a perfect example of how they implement this different idea, this old alchemical process, uh, this concept of the hermetic principle of mind or mentalism, where your mind precedes all. They implanted the thought in people's heads, and people reacted to it as if it was real, and in a sense, it leads into a reality. And then they later on uh, were able to manufacture this thing in reality and set it loose on people. Uh, so, you know, that's... Kind of, uh, I hope that answers your question. I know it's kind of long and rambling, but uh, sometimes it's hard to like really explore these ideas in very few words. That was definitely an answer. So yes, <laughs> we got. I think we got it all in there. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, Reinhardt, your turn. Uh, sure. Actually, one one thing I thought was pretty interesting. We we're talking about Pan for a moment, and of course the the symbolism and occult. Uh, importance of this being, this deity, this age um, of Pan. I'm, I'm familiar with uh, with that work of Plutarch's that you had mentioned, and um, Pan is identified clearly with several different deities, right? Savanus, uh, Chernunos. Um, one that he's also identified with is a being known as uh, Asael or Azazael, um, who would be one of the archons that you mentioned later in your book. Um, it's one who was responsible for giving uh, humanity incredible knowledge, including that of war, um, sexuality, different things. But uh, it seems to be an archetype that these 
I guess we can, we have to kind of call them elites of what they do, these secret societies, mystery schools that they tend to um, to really pay homage to, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely they do. And actually in uh, the modern era, they pay homage to the inversion of this pan archetype, which is actually the, the Baphomet mm-hmm. or Baphomet. Uh, look at it. It's It's got the head of a goat, whereas Pan had the head of a man. Uh, it's an inversion. See, and th- there's a reason that they use these type of symbols and archetypes in the ways that they do. Uh, so they're what they're trying to do is they're looking for a reversal here. Because uh, here, I'll, I'll try to explain it to you in astrological type terms. Uh, basically, what's happened is, okay, when this whole story that Plutarch tells about Pan, the great Pan is dead, okay, when this happened during the time of Christ, they acknowledge that, okay, this is the nexus point for the switchover of ages here. Uh, we're going from the age of Aries to the age of Pisces, okay? So that's what happened there. But what's happening with this new narrative now, we're supposed to be going from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. And Aquarius is represented as a man. The age of Aquarius is said to be the age of man. Uh, this is supposed to be uh, the enlightenment of man and the advancement of man. Uh, so uh, many people call this the Great Awakening. I'm sure you guys have probably heard that. Uh, this is, you know, one of the cycles of time that that goes on historically as we look back uh, through these different things. And it's one of those alchemical principles we talk to. It's the the Hermetic principle of rhythm. Okay, everything happens in a cyclical way. Uh, so when we look back at the the sky clock, okay. Uh, the, the astrological aspect of this. We're supposed to be going from Pisces to Aquarius, the age of man. This would be the advancement of man, the rising of the spirit of man, the great awakening. Well, they're trying to replace that with what they call the great reset. And I'm sure you guys have probably heard that going on too. And uh, Klaus Schwab came out recently and started calling it the great narrative. And the choice of words is always important. Narrative. It's a story. Okay. It's the story they want. But what they're trying to do through invoking this archetype of Pan, this uh, what I call Pan-Christ dynamic here, uh, it's their window of opportunity right now, the switching between the two ages. What they're trying to do is hijack that switching of ages and break the cycle. So they want to skip beyond the age of Aquarius and cycle us back into the energies inherent with the age of Capricorn, which would directly follow the age of Aquarius. And once again, this is the goat idea. Okay, the pan idea, the goat, greatest of all time. We hear that a lot, don't we? Uh, You could see this archetype being leveraged all over the place all the time right now. I mean, just look around in society. Uh, So this is exactly what they want, because what this would do is this would trap the human mind back in this materialist world we're in, in a sense. Uh, It wouldn't elevate us spiritually. It would trap us in the material paradigm or what I would call hyper materialism which is essentially the viewpoint of where we are in this world. This is what our science describes. It tries to quantify and measure everything in an objective way. And you can't do that with spiritual things. So it tries to equate things like consciousness to something, you know, to being nothing more than the byproduct of the uh, chemical electrical activity of our brainstem. Uh, so when they do that, this chaps people in the hypermaterialist viewpoint. Uh, when they're trying to teach you that that's all that this is, okay? So that your thought processes, you know, that your feelings, all of this stuff, all the things you think, your consciousness itself is nothing but the byproduct of a, a chemical, electrical reaction. It's physical, right? It's purely physical. 
that is a hyper-materialist viewpoint, and that's the viewpoint of the transhumanists, okay? They think everything can be equated down to all of that, and if everything can be equated down to all of that, that would make your consciousness nothing more than an algorithm of sorts. So if that's the case, then in theory, they should be able to transfer your consciousness into a machine. Now, this is from their vantage point, right? I don't believe that. I think consciousness transcends uh, you know, the material world here, the material realm, and there's there's spiritual things beyond here uh, that we have very poor understanding of. But uh, they're trying to, the, the dark occultists in charge are trying to trap people's minds in this hyper-materialist viewpoint, because if they do that, uh, they will uh, put your consciousness, your spiritual consciousness back to the level of an animal again, uh, where they, right where they want you. Uh, they w- That would put you on par with a goat, okay? And what's a goat? It's a herd animal. Uh, and that's how they view humankind, you know, most of the public, uh, mm-hmm. these people that are in control. They view you as a herd animal. Uh, so that being the case, this is exactly what they want. They want to trap you in that hyper-materialist uh, paradigm so that they could control you better. And, uh, you know, it's it has to do with the depopulation agenda and stuff as well. That's definitely all part of it. But uh, it, it's more about control for these people because they're they're psychopaths and they want to be God in no uncertain terms. And they think they could pull it off with our modern technology combined with using these different kinds of archetypes in the ways that they have uh, to control people's minds. Mm. All right. That's, that's great. Uh, thank you for that answer. Um, I appreciate it. It's interesting. Uh, just one last thing and though I'll go back into the rotation. Uh, it's interesting. You mentioned that they, they pretty much want to skip over the age of Aquarius, the age of man and head uh, straight to Capricorn, the goat, um, that goat being identified uh, with the god, I believe it's Anki, of the Sumerian pantheon. You know, one of the gods credited with the creation of humanity, the um, the Lord of the Earth, the God of this world. Um, you know, that is a, uh, a very dark connotation that they have there with the age of Capricorn, uh, because this god is is an inversion of the Creator. Absolutely, you know. and uh, this is Antichrist. Okay. Right. Uh, this is exactly what's described in the Bible too, and it's amazing how all these things interrelate and tie together when you really start to delve down those paths. But that's exactly what it's describing. It's describing the advent of Antichrist, and you know, uh, that's that's what the plan is essentially. I mean, they're invoking this archetype, um, and there's a reason they're invoking that archetype, and there, there's power in these archetypes and these mythological ideas. And, you know, we, the public, don't have a full understanding of actually how all that works, but there are people in high levels of power in this world that do understand and manipulate these energies, these natural energies that exist, and leverage them against us uh, to bring about whatever agendas they want. And that's absolutely, in my view, what's being done. Yeah, that's something we've said on the show all the time, and whether or not you believe in it, the people in charge do. Right, and that's the important aspect yep. here. Uh, you know, your average person would hear a lot of this and think, okay, well, this is total nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, even if you think so, understand there's people in positions of power in this world that absolutely believe this stuff and act upon it. And the things they do that to act upon this will affect all of us. So you need to understand their vantage point. And that's basically one of my missions here uh, is to uh, try to bring – this type of information out for people to understand and be able to digest in a, you know, a way 
that they could understand. And that's the whole purpose why I write my books the way I do. I, I try to keep it as simple as possible because a wise man once said, if you can't explain something uh, like as if to somebody as if they were a child, then you don't truly understand it. Uh, and and that's the important point of view to keep in mind here. So I try to be linear in my thinking as much as possible with it. But I also try to explain um, you know, many of these different things. Cause like I said, I, I, when I got into researching this stuff, I was looking mostly at UFO stuff. Cause I was very interested in, uh, that kind of thing, like, uh, you know, electrogravitic propulsion systems and things like that. Uh, and it's amazing how all these things always tie back to the occult in one way, shape or form. Uh, so I tell people I accidentally became an expert in occult philosophy because of this. Uh, so, you know, it's it's amazing. All these things interrelate, and it always ties back to two places. First, it's always the occult and back in the ancient mystery schools. And second, moving forward in time, it's always the transhumanist movement or the transhumanist philosophy. Uh, they're one and the same thing. They're just different, uh, different uh, how should we say, perspectives of it from different time frames. That's yeah, when you, start, when you start looking at the history of NASA, you quickly get to Jack Parsons and then you quickly get to Aleister Crowley. And then you start saying, well, wait a minute, what does this have to do with space travel? Space travel? Everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we could get into how the whole, uh, you know, moon landing thing was nothing but a giant uh, occult ritual. But uh, right. I, I mean, I think you probably had people on to discuss that before. We, we are the guys that discuss that. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> we are, we are the guys. Yeah. We're the, we're the guys that, we're the guys that did the moon landing thing. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's, Skull, like you said with, with NASA, you know, you go back and you're like, well, I mean, you know, why, why would NASA tell lies? I was like, I don't know. They were founded by a couple of homosexual Satanists. Yeah. And they go, what? You say, yeah, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard used to do butt stuff out in the desert with government money. And they're like, what? And then you show them Jack Parsons' book, Sex and Rockets, and it tells you this. I mean, they're not, they don't hide the stuff that they did. Oh, yeah, and the, both of those guys were uh, protégés of Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley, too, absolutely. So. Actually, I believe Crowley was like, Jack Parsons is crazy. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He even, he even denounced him after yeah. some point. He's like, look, but, uh, I might have done some Cra bad stuff, all right? All right, there was a lot of like, the sex magic stuff. That was me, all right? But this Jack Parsons guy, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> when he was uh, his favorite disciple for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and then that just that just shows how uh, this, off the deep end he really was this, going. This dude yeah, when becomes Crowley the master. says, I've created a monster, you know you've really got somebody on your hands. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Well, and he did. I mean, look at Barbara Bush. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, before I forget, this is totally off topic, but somebody brought up um, Bill Hicks being a libtard earlier today. And I was like, and he, he didn't even do the Alex Jones thing. I was mad. But anyway. Speaking of, you know, Al, that was Aleister Crowley, Barbara Bush, sort of. I don't know how that tied together. But anyways, back to we're. <laughs> yeah, we're you do. What's that? Yeah, you do. I mean, I do. Yeah, I know how. I know everything. Everything is always connected and always comes around to the humiliation ritual, the inversion magic. Um, you know, like you were saying earlier um, how these people, you know, they have name. They call us goats instead of sheep. They have a name for us. They call us goyim. You know, that's cattle. Like there's. We, there's many names for for those of us that are not in the big club, the little club. Oh, absolutely, there is, and you know the profane. That's how they refer to us yes. in most of the different oh, yeah. secret society groups. Uh, so you know we're we're dumb, yeah, right? We're we're lesser than them. That's how they view us. Okay, mm -hmm. they there's a lot of these different, uh, you know. Uh, 
high-level occultists in some of these different secret society groups, they don't even believe you have a soul unless you're initiated into one of their orders. So they see us as little more than cattle, okay, or, you know, animals to right. be used and abused how they see fit. Human resources. Have you heard that term? Absolutely. Uh, that's, exa that's exactly how <laughs> What do you do us. with resources? You use them up. Right. And that's that's part of the vampirism that goes with this as well. I mean, yeah. they, they vampirize our energy. And just the example of, uh, you know, how they put forward this uh, corona narrative or this, this new mythology, as I like to refer to it, um, that's exactly what they're doing. They're vampirizing our mental energy to bring this thing to life. It's uh, synonymous with creating the homunculus or the golem. Right. Uh, you know, talked about in, in some of the more ancient writings and not, not so ancient, but uh, medieval type writings and stuff like that as well. Uh, so it, it's the same thing. It's, it's powering uh, this thing that they want in this world. It's, it's using our energy to bring it to fruition. And that's how they, they work here. Uh, they, they use these old principles that we have very little understanding of uh, these alchemical principles, the hermetic sciences, uh, the hermetic science of mentalism or mind where your mind precedes all. So they use your thought processes to make this thing manifest in reality. They, if they could make you believe it, it exists to some degree or another, doesn't it? And this would be what we would call synonymous with magic, okay? Or, you know, and we were all taught to poo-poo the idea of magic being a real or effective thing. But there are people that practice it here today. And it's, it's you know, if you think of it more as causal engineering, uh, then the term magic, if you think of it in those more sciencey type terms, uh, maybe you, your mind could accept it a little better because it's really easy to affect the minds of people. Like, for instance, and my friend Crow over on Crow Triple Seven uses this as an example all the time. He says, Here, I'll, I'll tell you how to do magic. I'm going to uh, create a thing here in your mind. And then he says, Red ball. Now, did you, did you picture that in your mind just now? That's kind of how this works. See, and that's just a simple example of that. Uh, the, the image comes to your mind when I say the words associated with it. And words are symbols. Mm -hmm. And that's why they use symbols so much in everything, too, because there's some of these symbols that are kind of primordial type symbols that we see and don't truly understand on a conscious level. But our unconscious mind recognizes them. And this is what we would call an archetype. All right. So they use these principles, these archetypes to in, instill uh, different kinds of reactions in our subconscious mind. And we don't perceive them necessarily consciously, but it does affect us on some level. Uh, and that's why they do stuff like this. And this is what we would call synonymous with magic. Uh, so, you know, this kind of an idea uh, really could show you how they could manipulate us to some degree or another. And they've done so. And I think we could see that all around us. Nice. Well, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely something that you can, if you have eyes to see, you don't even really need eyes to see. You just open them up and look around. I mean, all yeah, this not stuff. anymore. <laughs> They're right. out in the open with everything now. I oh, mean, yeah. at least they used to take the trouble to try and do things covertly, but not anymore. No, no, it's just terribly out in the open. Right in your face. Right in your face. Now, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. You're going you're gonna to take it, you're going to eat the bugs, you're going to live in the pod, and you're going to enjoy it. So they say, anyways. All right, well, we are coming up at the end of the first hour. Uh, we take a break, listen to a little bit of music, and then come back with the second hour with some more fun stuff. Um, Wayne, do you have a, a song suggestion? You're an old-school metalhead. Any any song title suggestions? 
Um, let me think. Um, nothing really comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, how about play something by Pantera? Outstanding. All right. Well, Grognak, find us a Pantera tune. All right. We're going to listen to this, and we'll be back with some more Wayne McRoy. everybody we're back this is still the paranormies i'm still johnny monoxide with reinhardt and grognak and skull we are talking to wayne mcroy about his books and a whole bunch of other stuff before we get into that uh we have been deplatformed once again it's official zencast has shut us down uh let me read you guys the email tell me tell me if you think this is this is great or not uh where is it Here you go. Hi, John. Thanks for your patience while we looked into this. When you created your Zencast account, you agreed to our terms and services. 
I'm writing today to let you know that access to your show has been blocked due to multiple violations of the terms of service of Zencast and our partner companies. As such, your current podcast will be unavailable indefinitely, and any future content will also be blocked from distribution. We understand you may wish to cancel your account as a result of this decision. No shit. <sighs> they can offer us a prorated refund. Oh, thank you. Because while we were in the process of having our account looked at for service violations or whatever, they decided to charge us again for another month's worth of service. So we are no longer on Zencast. Uh, they deplatformed a bunch of people off of Zencast. So it's not just us. It had to do with Google. Uh, apparently, Zencast automatic. They did an update where they automatically um, they send your podcast out to whatever affiliates they they have, like Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, a couple other ones. And we're banned from Google already. So uh, I guess Google figured out we were they were sending them our stuff, and they said, "No, no, no, Zencast, you cannot you cannot host them anymore." So we're no longer hosted there. We're working on new hosting. In the meantime, we will be posting. Probably uh, the direct MP3 to the site uh, one week or two weeks at a time, and then you can find it on the Zencast. We are going to, um, I don't know if Grognak and Gus are going to fight this out, but somebody is going to make us an archive channel for the show. So there's that. So there, that was the one piece of business that we need to get on, out of the on way. On Telegram. On Telegram, yeah. I keep forgetting that we're not always on Telegram, but yeah. <laughs> We are pretty much always on Telegram. You can find us. That's where you can find all of us pretty much all the time. But yes, we will be having. Uh, we we will be having. We will have a um, a show archive channel sooner than later. Probably a lot sooner than our stuff was ever going to get uploaded to Zencast. I mean, obviously now. But all right. So what does that make? Four different hosting services: SoundCloud, Zencast. Uh, there's a couple other ones too. Whatever. Can't shut down the truth. That's it. And we do we do have uh, solutions and stuff in the works oh, as absolutely. well that yeah. you know don't involve just Telegram. So no, but for now that's what we're going right. to do. But yeah, and yes, and don't think that the paranormies are down and out. Those fake paranormies are not kicking us out. I I'm wouldn't be surprised if they had anything to do with any of this either. Well, uh, my comments about paranormies.com got removed from all their videos. Yes. Anytime you mentioned, and Aether was in their comments, and remember the, oh, that little podcast, LOL. Right. Little podcast. <laughs> Don't, those, now, guys, those guys were slamming Twisted Tees and, uh, oh. and emailing Zincast furiously. Reinhardt, the times we've hung out together, have we ever interlocked arms and shotgunned such a non-heterosexual beverage? Uh, no, 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 we have not. I'm pretty sure last time we hung out, we had, uh, we had steak and a glass of wine. That's right. Yes. Like, (laughs) like grown folks. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We had, we had Narragansett's last night. That's right. We had Narragansett's last night and, 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 and good times were had. Hell yeah. All right. Let's get back into this in with Mr. McCroy, Wayne McCroy here. And, uh, I'm getting, sorry, I'm dropping something on my end here. Okay. So. We talked about the alchemical tech revolution. Do you guys do you guys want to ask him more questions about the book, or do you want to just like get into a bunch of other? I have, fun I have stuff? one more question. That okay. at least one more question. That <clears throat> um, what I wanted to know. I was there, there's a number of pages that cover this, so I'll just kind of ask the question. So these guys are creating this world where they're 
toxifying everything. They're spraying the skies. They are putting these vaccines of all, you know, who knows what's in the current one. I mean, that that's a whole topic unto itself. But just in the vaccines that have come before, they're filled with mercury and formaldehyde and swine parts and aborted fetal cells and all of these horrors. They're making people sick. There's the processed food. There's the GMO food. There's all, all of this, just this world that they're creating is creating a degraded, weakened people. And one of the questions that often comes up is, um, especially to people who don't want to think about these sorts of things. So they're like, chemtrails, what are you talking about? Those are contrails. If they were spraying the skies with those kinds of things, then they'd be susceptible to it too, which is a good question. Um, one of the questions that they asked when the bioweapon, which I don't believe, uh, narrative was going around about COVID. They were like, well, if it was a bioweapon, then what, what did they have the cure for it or something? Or did they have a immunity? But it does beg the question that when they are poisoning the entire world, that they are going to have to live around at least close to or in the vicinity of some of these things. So what do you think? Um, and that, that's a, it's kind of a two part question. There's that. And then there's the part that, well, when you look at someone like Klaus Schwab and you see him up on stage now, just gleefully talking about how he's going to chip the brain of every person on earth, metaphorically or literally speaking. And he's so excited about turning people into these cattle. And the dude's like, I don't know how old he is, but he looks like he's 80 years old or something like that. What do these people get? Like, are do they feel that they are reincarnated? Maybe they're actually reincarnated. Maybe they're some other kind of entity. What do you think these people are and what their motivation is behind wanting to create this world? Because so many of them would have died before the fruition of all of these things. And you would think that a normal human even if they were evil, toward the end of their life, would just want to sort of settle down and enjoy the wealth that they'd amassed up to now. Well, you would think so, but uh, you're thinking in terms of, you know, as an average human being or a normal human being. What you have to keep in mind is many of these peoples are psychopaths and they're bent on destruction of other people. Uh, so that being the case, I mean, their motivations are different than ours, and they always think long-term. Now, why this is, I could only speculate. Uh, some people have uh, speculated and said that it's possible maybe they live longer, maybe they have access to uh, technologies and medicines and sciences and stuff that we don't that allows them to live longer or, you know, possibly uh, uh, renew their youth. And, you know, they, they have been, it has been documented that they use something called adrenochrome and, you know, uh, use the blood of children to uh, give themselves health benefits, uh, things of that nature. Uh, so it's hard to say, but uh, I mean, I think the um, the whole premise here is they totally want this whole technocracy thing to snap in place. Okay, they need that to happen, and many of them, even though they're getting older, that's why they're pushing harder uh, because some of them want to try to see this thing come about within their lifetime. Uh, if you look at Ray Kurzweil, he's very famous. He's one of the proponents of this whole transhumanist ideology. Uh, he, he wrote, uh, you know, in his book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, he, he talks about some of these different ideas. But he's said to take how many different supplements, like over 100 different supplements every day, uh, just to try to extend his lifespan uh, so that he could see uh, some of these things come to fruition and maybe be a beneficiary to some of these new technologies. Uh, that could be part of the game. I mean, there's there's other things we could uh, speculate here as far as uh, 
why is it that they don't seem to be to care about uh, like the chemtrailing and you know spraying themselves with poison and stuff like that? There's another possibility, and I've explored this rabbit hole, and it's uh, it's almost an endless rabbit hole where you're never going to find a uh, plausible uh, conclusion to or you know an answer that's satisfactory. But this has to do with Rh factor and blood type. Uh, and, you know, these different ideas and all this ties back to occult things once again, uh, because many of these people in positions of power in this world think that they are the direct blood re- relatives, blood descendants of Cain. Uh, and this ties back to the whole Bible principle once again, uh, whereas if, if you go back into the different occult teachings of some of these secret societies, well, they taught that uh, um, that Cain was actually the offspring of Eve and this fallen angelic being uh, known as, I believe it was either Azazel. I know they, they equate it to Azazel or uh, what's the other name they use for him. I, it's, it's escaping me at the moment. Sorry. A lot of information in my brain, but uh, that happens around um, here. That Samuel. happens quite a bit. That's what it is. B- oh, Oh, Samuel. Okay. There's yeah. also a uh, Gadriel, right? But they claim it's that uh, Cain was the offspring of Samuel and Eve and therefore, you know, he was part divine. He was a semi-divine being. Uh, so they see themselves as semi-divine, right? They see themselves as something more than human, and they think they have the divine right to rule because of this. Uh, and I explore a lot of these topics actually on my own channel over on Rockfin, if people want to check out some of the older uh, podcasts and stuff I have up there. Um so it, it's it's interesting. It always all ties back to this occult dynamic. Uh, but that being the case, so there might be something that relates to this blood type thing. And uh, a lot of it relates to what's called RH negative blood type. And, you know, like I said, that's a whole rabbit trail in and of itself. I've done multiple shows uh, with Crow Triple Seven on this topic as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something that... Uh, Bears a little bit more exploring, but you're there's so much misinformation and uh, so many so much convoluted information about it out there. It's hard to come to a conclusive uh, type of conclusion that's satisfactory with it. Uh, so that's another angle you could look at. So maybe they uh, have some type of resistance to these things, or maybe uh, some of these different things they're doing are specifically tailor engineered to the public and not their royal family bloodlines, so to say. Uh, so that's that's another aspect. Or there's there's also the possibility that maybe there's extra land masses on this planet or plane that we're not aware of. And, Whoa. you know, the description of this place, uh, it's totally misdescribed to us. And what NASA tells us the world is, is not truly what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm not a flat earther, but I know a lot of flat earthers and they make some good points. Uh, uh, you but- just answered my question for me. Yeah, but so uh, that's the thing. I, I tell people I'm kind of earth shape agnostic. Um, so um, I, I, I kind of I like look that. at it. Yeah, I, like I mean, I, I look at it from the perspective of are you guys familiar with the uh, the thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat? Yes. Uh, well, I, I think it's Schrodinger's earth. It depends on what you're looking for and how you're measuring it. Okay. <laughs> what the shape I, of I like to be. say it's not flat because topography exists, but. Right. It is definitely not a spinning space testicle covered in water. Oh, no. I, I, I totally uh, – I'm convinced the Earth doesn't spin. No, <laughs> the, Earth is, I think, the Earth doesn't move. I think it's stationary. Yeah, uh, the Earth doesn't but move. But the shape of it, I don't know for sure. I, I, I can't say. Yeah, I, 
I am not a hundred percent on the shape of the earth. We have had we've had David Weiss on the show to talk about the biblical Dave's great. cosmology. Um, yeah, he's great. Uh, he was he was a lot of fun. Um, but then you know, oh oh no, you got you know you can't take anything Dave says seriously because you know he's he's uh, he's Jewish, so he's a bad guy, right? <laughs> no, he's a smart dude. He's a good dude. I, I know him. No, but you know how you know how it is in so many. <laughs> I know circles. how people are. Yes, yeah, I, I know. And yeah, and see, that's the thing. Most people that won't even entertain the idea of flat Earth have never really looked at it. No, they uh, have because there's there's a lot of convincing evidence there. And it's not even um, the flat Earth. Like one of skull, one of your favorites is we see too far. Yeah. 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 And that's that's for sure. Like we see it's too like, far. That that doesn't make you go, hey, I'd like to look into that. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. But instead people will go, What? Are you some kind of flat earther? It's like, dude, calm down. <laughs> yeah, like, flat tards get the rope. Like, right. Shut up. Yeah. Man. That's the thing. I mean, it's become actually a whole, you know, kind of uh, how would you say uh, an insult to people? And it shouldn't be that way because mm. actually, flat earthers know more about science than your average person does. So yeah. you're, you're they've done the science. We've globally. done the experiments. We've done the things. What's funny right. is what they say. You know, you can always tell like what the big conspiracies are by how mad people get about them. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, well, well, here's the here's the premise, and and this is what I like about the whole flat Earth theory. Okay, say the Earth is flat. Well, then, you know, that uh, brings whole new questions to people's minds, okay? Well, if it's not a spinning ball in space, then that means that, uh, you know, the Big Bang Theory isn't true Mm -hmm. and that all of these different things, everything works differently than what we've been told. So everything we've been told is not true. And if it's flat, then that lends to, you know, more credence that it's, it's a created place, that there's intelligent design inherent here. Uh, so then they have to look at the um, the premise that there's a God, and that makes people uncomfortable, especially oh, yeah. people that you know don't know God personally or don't have a personal relationship with Him. Uh, so that makes people uncomfortable. And this is the thing that I think is the most important aspect to the whole flat Earth question, is because if people have to actually take a step back from the things that they've been indoctrinated from and look at the world with a fresh set of eyes and just observe what you see, what you could verify with your own eyes and with your own, uh, you know, senses and, and, and observations, then you have to rethink things a little bit uh, because, like, you know, it, it's been misdescribed to us. And a lot of that, when you start exploring that avenue of thought, go look for a picture of Earth from space. You won't find one that's not some kind of a CGI or artist interpretation or right. anything of the sort. And or my favorite, the composite image. Right. The composite image, right. Well, and and Reinhardt. that's another thing. And people buy into this stuff wholeheartedly. I love science. Uh, you know, the I love science crowd, the NASA crowd, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, we, but, know, we know them. We know them quite well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think we all do. But it's, it's a deception. Uh, and it's the great deception, like a lot of it. Yep. Uh, so this place we live in, what I could tell you for certain, I, I don't know the shape of it. And I don't claim to. Uh, like I said, I'm not a flat earther. I don't prescribe to the flat earth theory. Um, but it makes more sense in a lot of ways than the globe theory that they give us. Uh, but what I can tell you for sure is this place that we live in is misdescribed to us. And that being the case, if you don't know where it is that you live, how can you know where you're going? And that's one of the more important aspects of this whole conversation with that idea is how, how do you know where you're going or what you're doing or what your purpose is here if you don't even know where you live? 
Right. If you and don't know where the, you the are, thing. I mean, it's all misdescribed to us. Yeah. If you if you have no idea where you actually are, how can you even know really who you are? Right. Yeah. And, and well, that's and I, one of the important philosophical questions of our time too. So that that's why you know things like flat Earth, this would get people thinking, and I think that's probably more. Uh, you know, the, why the stigma of the whole thing? Because if you have to come to grips with the fact that you've been lied to all your life and you really don't know where it is that you exist and that, you know, there's a God mm-hmm. and you weren't thinking in those terms before, you really have to do a lot of self-reflection. And people aren't comfortable with thinking anymore. Oh, We've God. been taught to react. And that's the whole problem with society. We've been taught to react on an emotional level to things and not really think deeply or clearly uh, on a lot of these topics. So with that being said, I mean, I, I think that's one of the big reasons why all the disdain for the flat earth movement and stuff like that, uh, even though, like I said, a lot of the descriptions and stuff, they do make sense. And, you know, most people won't take the time to look at that. But, uh, you know, that's beside the point. But. I, a, I don't necessarily subscribe to the flat earth model myself. I don't know where it is we live. But what I do think for sure is uh, there's probably more land masses and yeah. stuff I'm, in this world than than we know of. I'm definitely on the extraterrestrial as in extra territories uh, theory as well. Um, I've seen I've seen the maps that supposedly show stuff outside the quote ice wall. Um, that makes a lot of sense. You know, um, again, you know, there's that whole um, alien ant farm theory, you know, that, that that we are an experiment from outside, you know, being being watched. I mean, we definitely I mean, we're definitely being watched, but that's a, that's a whole different thing. Um, <laughs> well, and I think one thing that uh, kind of astounded me when I started thinking more about it is the the heliocentric view. Um it creates this paradigm for humans that, you know, if you don't believe in a God, if you don't believe in a creator at all, then you don't know what you are, but you, you know, that you're small, you know, that, you know, out in this vast chaos that you're pretty much nothing. You, your power as a man or as a human is taken away, right? If you doubt that and you accept, you know, stationary earth, um, that, everything is right here or we just don't know what's outside what we call the firmament um but we know it's not just this vast infinite nothingness with possibly other aliens out there that for some reason are abducting us um <laughs> you have to come to grips with the idea that earth is a central place that things are happening here and now and that there is a creator and that creator is closer than you would think that closer that creator may be directly above us as the bible says um and i think that runs very contrary to the narrative that they want to create because of course that dumbs down the population that depresses the population and it sets up their uh, their personalities their mindset to beg for things that will make them better Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with what you're saying there 100%, because if you think in terms of, uh, you know, the, the Big Bang model that they give us and that kind of thing, well, then you're just an in- insignificant speck that came about by accident. And, you know, that, that leaves you with no purpose. And this is something that actually uh, Friedrich Nietzsche uh, wrote about it and was concerned with. Even though he was a staunch atheist, he believed that if man... Uh, didn't need God anymore or the concept of God anymore, 
that he would be directionless and without purpose, and this would lead to nihilism. And uh, this was one of his major concerns, and this is why uh, he wrote uh, something to the effect uh, in one of his books that God is dead. And th this is the whole debate that's come about, uh, you know, from uh, back in the mid to late 1800s, and it was brought forward in the 1960s. Here in America in 1966, the New York Times published a headline that said God is dead and talked about the God is dead debate uh, and, and this whole type of idea. And this relates directly to uh, the things I'm writing about in my new book, okay, the, the pan-Christ dynamic, as I call it. It's the same thing in reverse. See, they're saying God is dead. And they've uh, kind of pushed this idea forward here. Uh, in 1966, the number 66 is, you know, an important number in, you know, uh, different numero numerological contexts and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm sure you guys, it sounds like you're pretty savvy with a lot of this stuff. So you probably understand the dynamic being played there uh, with that. And it's even been speculated by some that the quote-unquote Antichrist uh, was born in 1966 as well and in, you know, different views. But uh, – so this whole thing plays forward into today, where it's it's announcing, much like uh, the archetype of uh, the story from Plutarch, that Pan is dead, the great god Pan is dead. Well, now they're announcing in the modern day that God is dead, or that, uh, you know, what we would associate with the god of Christianity, Jesus Christ, is dead, right? So that's kind of the idea that they're pushing forward. And the last time this happened was during the time of Christ when the great god Pan died and was dead. And then it was the, the birth of the new age and the advent of Messiah in Christ. Mm -hmm. So this is a setup for the Antichrist system, in my view. Uh, so that's exactly the kind of archetype they're trying to leverage there. Uh, so they're reversing the idea. Uh, before it was Pan was dead, and then it was the advent of Christ. Well, now they're trying to say Christ is dead, and it's the advent of Pan, once again, but the inversion of Pan, uh, so, you know, which is Antichrist. So uh, you could kind of see the games that they play uh, with the mythology and the archetypes and stuff like that uh, with that viewpoint, but uh, I think we got a little off the question there. So, <laughs> um, you know, kind of bring me back around. Save me for myself. I have a tendency to ramble sometimes and get off on little side tangents. But uh, that is you know, completely all right. Did, I, did I answer that question okay, or what was the original question there? Right no, the original was talking about how they're creating a world and what they get out of it. And uh, I think you answered it pretty well because you went into three parts, and this was just a a tangent off the third part. But Okay. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I, I don't want to like sidetrack the conversation or anything because honestly, I could talk for hours about this stuff because there's just so much information uh, to be shared about too. it. What's that, Skull? I, I like the sidetracks. I, I think they're yeah. Well. We are we are we are actually a show full of sidetracks. It's what we do around here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we have had we've had several episodes where the actual topic never really got talked about because just sidetracks. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I love those types of shows. Yeah. So back to the Switzerland part. episode. <laughs> Switzerland? That just happened. Like the Switzerland episode just happened. I didn't mean that. Like literally, I don't know. Just somebody posted an article. And next, you know, it was two and a half hours later, and like minds were blown everywhere. All right. Um. So, oh man, I had a question about about the pan Christ thing. Um, yes. So you said that, so the, the God pan died and then Christ was born and then the era of the, the age of the Messiah and now they're killing God. Well, uh, clearly like atheism being, um, well, they killed God, but they still have a religion though. You know, the atheism is clearly a religion. 
Oh, absolutely right. it is, but uh, they don't want to admit that, see? Right, <laughs> right. It is. It's, a, it's a type of religion. It's, it's actually more humanism it's, uh, than anything, I would say. It's or, or, hardcore secular or, humanism is what's Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so now you, you're saying that the their Messiah, they're going to lead into their Messiah. What do you make of, say, the theory that, oh, Jared Kushner might be the Messiah? Like they've, they've, I've heard this, like, you know, the red calf is born. Um, there's all these things. Uh, they moved, they moved the embassy, you know, to, to Jerusalem or whatever. And so that's supposed to be another sign that the, uh, the Messiah is supposed to come. Yeah. I, I don't know about any of that. All I do know is, uh, you know, um, we, we could look at, uh, how the Bible outlines it all. And I don't think Jared Kushner would line up to. <laughs> I don't either. Well, I don't either. The, I've seen, I've seen several things. So. Would be. Uh, and, and the thing is, are we actually looking for a, a human being to be the antichrist? Cause that might actually be a uh, misrepresentation as well. I don't think uh, so at all. Actually. I think it might be like their end game of their project Bluebeam, Really? Well, Project Bluebeam is an interesting concept, too. But uh, even though the technologies exist, there was no actual Project Bluebeam. Many people don't know that. Uh, there, there was not ever in existence anything called Project Bluebeam. Wait a minute. Uh, it's so. No way. Because you know, we've, we've actually used that term many times. So we've been lying to people? Well, you probably didn't know that because right. this, this kind of stuff gets talked about in the conspiracy circles all the time as if it's a fact. There was never any such thing as Project Bluebeam. I would encourage you to go look that up. Uh, the technologies certainly do exist, but there was never a project called Project Bluebeam. Uh, this is what was called a honeypot huh. um, in the, you know, the, the intelligence community. Uh, it's something that they put out there to see who's leaking information on them. Uh, so, you know, that kind of thing, it kind of caught on because uh, people, you know, identified it. Because they, they always talk about the mock alien invasion with Project Bluebeam where they'll project right. the flying saucers and stuff in disguise. There's no such thing as Project Bluebeam. Never has been. It's just a psyop, for the most part. My uh, embarrassment to, is to discredit the whole idea that these technologies exist. They do exist. Don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> you know, there's no, there was never such a thing as Project Bluebeam. Oh my goodness! My, well, now my I need to change the Nationalist Enquirer cover. Yeah, my, <laughs> right. My embarrassment well, most, is most gigantic of the in that my day's these room. Con, like conspiracy type things, know exactly what you're talking about with Project Bluebeam. It's kind of a nickname for it that's that's caught on. Sure, but many of them don't understand that it, there was never actually anything called Project Bluebeam. Uh, so you know, the technologies still, exist, but it's, it's yeah, there's it was still never an official of project. Deception and misdirection as to what aliens are, uh, alleged aliens are, and space technology, and the idea of um, multi-galactic or galactic entities rather than multi-dimensional entities. I, I still think that they are putting a lot of misinformation out there so that people have the wrong idea about what these things are. And there was a page from your book that actually directly relates to this that I even wanted to talk about um, page 157 of Alchemical Tech Revolution, you wrote that they'll use high technology to blur the lines of reality more and more until we can no longer differentiate fantasy from reality before they initiate the mass upload of our consciousness to the system. This mass upload may translate to some as a large-scale extraterrestrial attack on the Earth and possibly to others as a real or counterfeit rapture. That's another interesting one I wanted to ask you about. This upload will trap minds in a virtual reality simulation that they will not be able to distinguish from reality and thus confine them to a personal mind prison, unable to escape and unable to determine what is true and what is illusion. And I obviously, 
a lot of what we've seen in the last two years seems to be to break people's minds and to not let them be able to determine any longer either what's real and what's not real or to make reality itself so miserable that they want to escape into this virtual reality so that they will either de facto or literally upload whatever it is that they call their mind into this machine. What, what do you, I mean, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Well, all I can say about that is welcome to the metaverse. Uh, that's absolutely the idea that they're pushing. Uh, so that's the whole concept there. What I was talking about um, when I wrote that is exactly what we're seeing play out in front of us right now. They are they're, They've broken down people's minds. They've broken people's psyches. Uh, they're making them more, um, malleable to be uh, either augmented with this uh, artificial intelligence technology or these virtual reality technologies or a combination of both so that uh, it is a form of escapism for them. See, they want to make the real world, the quote-unquote real world, so miserable that people will largely want to escape into these alternate realities, these virtual realities. Uh, and you could just cite the movie Ready Player One for, you know, the predictive programming of that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of a direction that they're moving with this on the short term. Now, long term, they'll make it so that, uh, you know, you have some kind of a uh, device, a, a, a brain computer interface uh, in, in your brain where they'll be able to control your perceptions. And your perceptions are your reality, as we discussed earlier, because all things proceed from mind, right? Mind precedes all things. So uh, that whole concept of uh, hermetic mentalism. So if you perceive it to be true, it's true for you, right? And if they could affect all your senses just through, you know, use of one of these BCI devices, brain-computer interfaces, they could make you believe that something's real or that something's there that, that's not there. Uh, think about it. It would have tactile and visual and audio and, and olfactory, all of these different assets to it, these facets to it. They could make you perceive it to be a real thing. And this would be your own type of reality, wouldn't it? Uh, if they were able to do that to you, but nobody else was able to experience this. Uh, this is your own experience. And this is where the, the lines of reality get blurred for people because this is not like something that's science fiction. I mean, these are technologies that exist and are being developed right now uh, and, and are probably far in advance of what we see in the public sector right now. So they do have the abilities to skew your perceptions to believe something that's not true. And we've seen just a, a small sampling of this the past two years with things going on around us. But uh, when that time comes, when they actually have everybody wired into the grid, so to say, where they'll be able to control your perceptions. They'll make you believe that there's an actual alien invasion or whatever the narrative's going to be for that. And in my view, what this actually is, and I touch upon that in the book there, I think they're actually building their own personal hell. Because think about it. When, you know, you look in the book of Revelation... And you, you see, it says, and in those days, men will seek death and it will elude them. Uh, so, like, if, if you can't die because you're experiencing a virtual reality world or your, your consciousness is trapped in the machine, so to say, and you can't spiritually leave that place, well, that would be synonymous with a, a personal hell, wouldn't it? So I, I think they're building their own prison. They're building hell. And yep. that's what this whole metaverse system is really, you know, a part of. 
so, you know, we, we could go different ways here. Okay, we have we're at a crossroads in history where we need to make a choice. Do we want to pursue the path of what it is to be fully human and reach our full human potential? Or do we want to take the shortcut and the good time promised by transhumanism here and try to escape our reality and build our own reality and try to be something different than human, be something transhuman or later on after, you know, the process of transhumanism takes place. And this is only going to be a short process then we'll be what they call post-human or human 2.0. All right, we'll be something beyond that. We'll be more machine than man. Uh, we'll be something different than what we are now. And uh, do we want to go that avenue? Because that avenue leads to soullessness, in my view. Uh, it's it's not a spiritual path. It's a, a path of hyper-materialism. Uh, so that being the case, do these would this post-human entity even have a soul or a spirit attached to it. And that's where in uh, this gets to be really problematic for me because uh, one of two things could happen here with this, okay? Uh, either this this being that's created will be completely artificial, will not have a soul, but it will simulate what it's like. It'll be just a simulation of what it's like to be a living entity, right? So this would be a dead thing. And uh, Michael Hoffman, I don't know if you guys are familiar with his writings, but he he talks about this in some of his books. He calls it the reign of dead matter. And he's absolutely correct as to what this is, because that's what this, you know, these people in positions of power today that are controlling the world do. They're, it's this death cult. OK, it's all based on death ideas. Uh, and, and that's exactly what they're running here. And that's what transhumanism leads to. So this post-human being, it'll be a dead entity, right? Well, if there's no spirit or animus to animate it. Uh, is that creating a doorway for something else to step in? And if you guys talk about paranormal topics, you, you're familiar with the idea of a walk-in or possession or, uh, you know, a demonic entity possessing something or stepping in. And this ties back to ideas like the Nephilim in the book of the Bible. All right, back in Genesis chapter 6, the whole Nephilim idea. Uh, these were the, the sons of, you know, the, the fallen angelic beings and the daughters of men. Uh, and they didn't belong here. See, they weren't built like this reality was not built for them to be in. So they didn't belong here. They were an abomination to this reality. So um, one of the theories as to what happened with them, with the great flood and, you know, all the things that wiped them out is their spirits were trapped here. And this is one theory of what demonic entities are. So is it possible because, you know, many of these demonic entities, um, they wander around looking for a body to possess well, if you have an empty vessel for them already prepared and, and all they got to do is step in and be the animus for that thing, uh, I think artificial intelligence and, you know, this whole transhumanist notion uh, really fills the bill for that in a sense. So, I mean, there, there's that aspect of it to think about, and that's the spiritual side of it. But even disregarding that, uh, these just soulless robots walking around, that's not humanity, okay? That, that would lead to the extinction of mankind. And, you know, the quelling of spirit. So you could see how this idea, this reign of dead matter idea, uh, really ties into this whole transhumanist notion and how this steers people away from this, what they would call a great awakening or this idea of enlightenment or moving forward or, uh, you know, all these different things. And, you know, in the Bible, it talks about the thousand year uh, millennia, the millennial reign of Christ on Earth. Uh, so, like, that leads the opposite direction of that, is what the transhumanist stuff does. 
It's it's looking for something more. And this is all part of the great deception of it all. And I really firmly believe we're coming to a crossroads here in history. We're coming to a point that I would call another Tower of Babel moment where this whole thing is going to come crashing down on them. Uh, so even if they succeed with some of these transhumanist plans and some of these technologies, it's only going to be short-lived in my view because the natural order will not tolerate it. <laughs> I mean, we've seen time and again examples through history. It's the, the Bible tells us these things for a reason, right? Even if you accept, if you don't accept the Bible, like if you're not a Christian and you don't accept on faith the, the stuff written in the Bible, you could look at the stories in there and the allegories. They teach you lessons, okay? And these are valuable lessons, regardless of what your spiritual belief systems and stuff are. You can know something by reading those stories and understanding them. And the Tower of Babel story, it just tells it very plainly. Man got hubristic, okay? Uh, when Nimrod and his cohorts built the Tower of Babel, he fully intended to climb that tower to slay God and take his place. That's exactly what the transhumanists want to do. See, it's the same thing. Uh, it's an allegory of the same thing. But look what happened to the Tower of Babel. The natural order is not going to withstand it. God set this place in motion and put these things in creation here with certain sets of natural laws that these things all follow. And, all the, you know, everything falls in line. It's perfect order, okay? It's not the chaos like, you know, these dark occultists would want you to believe and that they have to make order out of it. No, it's it was, everything was set in perfect order. All you got to do is look at nature around you. How do the trees know when their leaves are supposed to fall? And how do they know when to bud again in the springtime? Everything was put here. It's It's orderly. And that's why I also have a problem with the idea of Darwinian evolution because it, it flies in the face of what we see all around us that we could observe in the natural order. Uh, so anyway, not to get on too much of a side tangent with that, but, <laughs> but the whole point here is that God put these laws in place here for a reason, right? And this is one of those laws where if you uh, get to that point where you think you're going to be able to uh, – destroy what God has created and take his place, uh, you're, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail catastrophically. That's the whole lesson of the Tower of Babel. See, they failed catastrophically. They were scattered all over. The languages were all confused, and that may be one of the reasons why much of our history is, <laughs> you know, mistaught to us. Um, so, like, we, we don't know what our history was. Uh, because of that. So, I mean, this cataclysmic event that happened uh, may be one of those things. And even if you just take it as an allegory, uh, like, just look at the lesson that's being explained there. Uh, so it's telling us, don't be messing with things you don't belong messing with. Uh, this this world works in a certain way, and we could work with that, or we could work against it. And these people are trying to work against it because they want to create an inversion of that that they could control. So, uh, you know, that's that's the bottom line with that whole idea. Uh, so when they go against nature, they're going to have backlash. And that's what's going to happen, in my view. All right. Wow. Yeah. Very thorough. Very, very thorough. Um, man, that was quite the rabbit trail. Yeah, sometimes I tangent. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no, it's <laughs> oh, okay. That was it's wonderful. Okay. Yeah, no, it was okay. Reinhardt's just sitting there listening, smiling. I know. I can hear it. 
Um, Shut up. What? <laughs> 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 oh, man. Um, good Lord. I don't Why even know what I don't even, yeah, Reinhardt, you got you got another question? I'm trying to think because like he answered he answered a, a bunch of questions that we didn't even ask, which is great. Yeah, they're, all, <laughs> they're all like in the notes and then they're just being answered before we could even get to them. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> going through and I'm like, all right, he said that. Right, he said that too. Right, we said that. Oh, CERN. Oh let's talk Yeah. Oh, what, Ryan? What? Did you have something else? No, I agree. That was what I was gonna ask actually. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Let's talk about CERN. Um, I I know you've mentioned you, you've mentioned it quite a bit in your book there. Um, what do you believe that the grand scheme is with CERN? Just CERN, not not like everything. I know there's like the the simulated world system at Purdue and all these other D wave computers that are doing all kinds of other stuff. But what is what what is your idea for what they're actually doing with CERN specifically? All right. Well, CERN. Let's look at CERN. Uh, the Large Hadron Collider, the largest machine in the world, 17 miles in diameter. 17 is a very occult number, um, you know, so uh, for lack of time, we won't get into like a lot of the specifics with the, the numerology thing. I could do a whole show just on, you know, the significance of numbers with things, but it's a 17 mile uh, around ring and it sits on top of the old temple of Apollo. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that that has a little bit of connotation to it right there Yeah. Uh, for one thing. Uh, another thing, CERN is also credited with creating the Internet, which is basically the uh, foundational development of the metaverse that's coming. Uh, so you could see it's a, it's a foundation. Okay, CERN is a foundation. It's an important foundation uh, with this new technocracy bit. Uh, so, you know, them having that there, not only are they deceiving people on a massive scale with it because, uh, well, they've been caught there multiple times doing occult rituals and stuff like that. And they have a, stat- a statue of Shiva, the destroyer, sitting on their front lawn. Uh, so, I mean, like that that tells you all the intention right there. And intent is everything. Uh, we say this all the time on the different shows and stuff I do. Intent is everything. Uh, so if you could see the intention just right there sitting in the form of a symbol, a statue on their front lawn you know what, what they're about. <laughs> exactly. The, the destroyer. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're here to break down uh, the the current order of things and build a new world order, you know, like George Bush talked about. So, <laughs> uh, and various other people throughout history. It, it's it's all about this whole new age ide- ideology and stuff too. Uh, that's why you always hear the, the hippy-dippy new age this and new age that, age of Aquarius. Well, that's the thing that's not being disclosed is they really don't want the age of Aquarius. Like I was saying, they want to skip to the age of Capricorn. They want to invoke the energies inherent in Capricorn to uh, manifest here instead of the Aquarian energies. Uh, so that's why they do things the way they do, uh, you know, in very shadowy, nebulous ways. But CERN itself, uh, this is the place, like I said, that's credited with creating the Internet and the world today. Uh, would if the internet crashed today, uh, the world would fall into chaos, wouldn't it? Because it's become so ingrained with our society. Unfortunately, uh, so, that's correct. Yeah, I know, and and that's the thing. It's all part of the mind control, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So CERN was put there to be a mind hook for people. Uh, it's it's there to create this new foundation. Uh, so, and not only that, it looks like a giant summoning ring. If yeah. you want to get really occult, there's, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of 
I was going to uh, say cult. that. I was going to ask if you didn't add it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they just, you know, their logo looks like a 666. They have the statue of Shiva. They do the occult rituals where supposedly people die just watching it. Um, you know, know, it's just coincidental things. They don't mean anything. It's oh, just no, performance it's just the scientists that live there having fun, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The scientists <laughs> with the science says Mandela. They, they do the Shiva dance, like the scientists yeah. are doing Shiva dance in the commercial. Like, oh, yeah, that checks out. It's cool. That's just uh, that's just performance yeah. art, okay? Somebody, right. some, some uh, choreographer came up with that, okay? You're clearly not into the arts, okay, buddy? That's what it is. Right. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think it was a whole film. It was called Symmetry, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's it's, like, yep. it's like a 14-minute yeah, I mean, film. So yeah. if that tells you something, if if performance artists are getting involved with this stuff and they, they throw together something that mm. looks like a satanic ritual or something, chances are that's I mean, what it is. It, the so, whole, if it walks oh, you like, mean a like duck. the opening of the Gothard Tunnel, which had yeah. the, uh, yeah. had read my mind. I was just going to bring the, that up. Horse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Invoking the goat archetype once again, right? Yep. Right. You see what I'm talking about then? So Those, listen, yeah. you guys just sound like a bunch of conspiracy theorists. Okay. I, I, know, right? I, know. I got my tinfoil hat. You guys got yours. Tin foil. <laughs> Man, that's oh, aluminum, aluminum foil. They don't make tin anymore, unfortunately. No. Yeah. Yes, aluminium. Aluminium. Cover. That's right. <laughs> Your aluminium cover. Um, um, go ahead, one one thing I wanted to ask when it when we're talking about CERN here, um, you know, we've seen a lot from a gentleman named Anthony Patch or Tony Patch over the years. Uh, he's done a lot of really great work in uh, researching what CERN has been interested in recently, not just with the Hadron Collider and their work with, you know, portals or how they tell us it works with portals, uh, but also uh, things like 3D printing human organs and entire bodies. Um, They also seem to have a focus on uh, beings like Osiris. They're built up top the ancient site of the Temple of Apollo um, they've got the Shiva statue, so they are focused on these ancient gods, these beings, archons, and things. Do you think there's anything to their 3D printing ideas in terms of this alchemical tech revolution or humanity 2.0? I know you'd mentioned as well, um, like demonic beings possibly inhabiting, you know, these let's say half or two thirds bionic or two thirds human. Um, you know, that idea going back to demi-humans or the ubermensch right and like all these ideas are interrelated and i do think that's you know that's a feasible scenario here i I mean i had mentioned my concerns with that just earlier uh so you know i I think that's a reasonable thing to have to question uh anthony patch is a brilliant researcher and he's done a ton more on cern uh than i ever have so i mean he would probably know more about the specifics of the programs and stuff they have going on there but, uh, yeah, certainly that is a concern. I mean, there's a reason that they're they're using uh, many of these technologies in the ways that they are. Uh, I was unaware they were doing the 3D printing thing and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, I haven't really taken a good in-depth view or look at CERN in a long time now since I wrote the book. But, uh, I mean, some of the things they were doing even then were kind of concerning. Now, do I think they're opening portals to other dimensions? I don't know. It's hard to say. 
You know, we don't really know what's going on there. All we know is what they're telling us. And all they're really telling us is we're making particles collide and we found the God particle. That should tell you something right there. That they, they claim they found the God particle. Sorry, guys. That's that's a misconception yeah, that's, right there. Uh, that's a deception for sure. But it's found the God part of right. Yeah. It. Right. That's not that's the, the best particle. That's the best yeah, part. The science particle. That's what they should have called it. Yeah. <laughs> right. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this all involves uh, holding up uh, you know, different vantage points and viewpoints of things, too. I mean, largely what they hold up at CERN and within most of our science, when they pursue things like quantum science and stuff like this, uh, they look at the concept of particles, right? Atomism. This is an old philosophy called atomism. And contrary to atomism, the other model that's largely been explored by uh, some of the ancient philosophers and scientists is called the ether theory. Okay, and uh, much of uh, some of the um, more advanced physics models of the late 19th and early 20th century were based upon this ether theory. And it all kind of got swept under the rug when Einstein came on the scene and started expounding his theory of relativity. Uh, and m many of Einstein's ideas were actually stolen, and many people don't know this. Uh, I forget the gentleman that he stole it from, but you guys could look this up. It's an interesting historical fact. Um, much of Einstein's work was lifted from somebody else. Uh, so, you know, he, he kind of was put in the spotlight for a reason. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you have a world-changing figure like this come about, like Einstein... There's a reason for that. They're distracting you from something else. And this goes on, you know, ad nauseum uh, throughout, you know, the different historical narrative. But uh, guys like Tesla and Oliver Heaviside and all of these other uh, pioneers in the field of electricity and that kind of thing all worked upon the ether model of physics. Whereas our modern physics works on this atomistic principle where everything could be equated down to a, a particle. And ether works in a different way. This this explains ether as being a uh, a sort of uh, what do we want to say a substrate for everything in existence. Everything has to move through a medium. See, uh, so like sound moves through the medium of air. Well, light moves through the medium of ether in ether theory. And you know this doesn't line up with uh, you know Einstein's. Uh, relativity theory and stuff like that and it also doesn't line up with the you know this quantum cults idea of of how things work so it's all about this distinction between these two different types of physics and there's only two fundamentally that have ever existed and the one is atomism that we base everything upon now and the other one's this ether idea and i think there's a lot of merit to this ether idea uh so and that's the other thing that I think CERN and other places like that were put in place to kind of deceive us upon is by claiming that all of this stuff is based on this atomistic theory where it could all be equated down to, you know, unseeable, unknowable particles mm. rather than being explored. It. Yeah, rather than being explored as a, you know, a type of energy source or something like that. So, all right. So you have to believe that light's a particle in a wave if you believe in atomistic theory rather than ether theory, whereas ether theory with ether being a medium that light travels through makes perfect sense. Right. And and that's the thing. I mean, I think scientifically speaking, if you're looking at science from the true scientific method standpoint that it was developed to be from originally, um, ether theory makes more sense yeah. uh, than, than this whole 
atom theory. This is why they had to go and find things like the God particle because, well, you have all these little tiny particles with all this space between them, and we can't figure out why it is they all stick together and stuff like that. We can't describe that. So we need to come up with this mathematical idea that there's this particle that somehow magically makes all these things stick together in that way and causes them to have mass. Right. Uh, so, they, so, so they spend... And that's all it is. It's all based on math, and it's all done in a computer. So uh, nobody knows for sure whether what CERN is coming up with, it's, they're claiming is the God particle is a real thing or if it's just an equation. Only the computer programmer knows that for sure. And the computer programmers are saying that these computers are actually reaching into other dimensions and receiving computations back from these other dimensions. Like they admit this stuff. Yeah, but are they really, or right. are the uh, right. computer I mean, programmers just telling us that? That's the other thing. That's the other <laughs> that's thing is is if you really look at if you take a really good look at CERN, it looks a whole lot like the ISS, which looks a whole lot like like they, these things. These machines they have a lot of cool wires and stuff that you know, like there's a whole lot of stuff going on. You know what I mean? There's piping and steam and like tubing and other kinds of wires and cables and fiber optic stuff and. I don't know what any Giant of that stuff does. Lasers and right, all kinds of right. fun laser stuff like beams that. and yeah, sharks, right? And there's like all kinds. of <laughs> stuff in the lake because it's at the there's Lake Geneva going on, and it's like there's the entrance to the CIA down there. You know, I mean, the CIA does have an office there. Well, I I know that that's was this I know it's and it's in Switzerland, and it's like like and for some reason it connects to the Vatican somehow. Like all these <laughs> weird coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence, yeah. Right. No. Well, no. There's this. No, there's there's a special thing. submarines. Right. This the special submarine named Gargamel. Yeah, it's yeah. For the for the mole children. Right. That they can use for experiments. The mole people. The mole people are probably real. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. At this point, yeah. Like, um, I forgot what the underground people that were from uh, the Dark Crystal, the ones with no eyes. John Kerry is somehow involved. Uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. <laughs> in the yeah. broke conspiracy realm, it's John Kerry. In the woke conspiracy realm, we know it's Jim Carrey. That's right. John John Kerry is actually Jim Carrey in a mask. <laughs> no, Jim that's Car- Joe Biden. That, yeah, like I said, right. well, he, he could play different characters. How many characters in the, in the Biden administration is Jim Carrey playing? I mean, seriously, Jen Psaki. Uh oh, those are definitely big men's feet. So. <laughs> No, that was, uh, somebody said today that um, if it was one thing I had to say, the paranormies got 100% correct. It was the tranny agenda. He's like, that shit is a hard pill to swallow, but it is true. Oh, that all ties to transhumanism, too. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay, yes. good. We are, good, good, good. We are acutely aware of how so all this stuff ties together. People get the most angry at us about. Well, that and well, no, the flat earth people get mad. You know, people get really mad about flat earth. They really, really do. Like, they really like people want to fight you over it. They want to call you names. Like, like you know, I'm sorry, but like we we, we're not talking about. Like again, we're not believers of any of this because if you believe it, then you know, and none of us know. So right, we've made observations. We've done the experiments where you can see too far. We have a lot of questions. And we know that NASA lies. So there's that. But the other one, yeah, the, the tranny thing, man. Woo. You burst somebody's, like, high school favorite sweetheart, you know, or 
the one that the quote the wife would give me the gimme, you know, like a Jennifer Aniston, yeah. of course, you know, you know, hers is like you know uh, Chris Hemsworth or whatever, like the one that you're a lot because there's no way because they're famous, ha ha ha, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, that's a dude, that's a guy, and of course it has to go back to transhumanism, the uh, the androgyne as we've talked about for what two years now, the sacred androgyne. Oh, it goes back to yeah, at least. It, it's definitely it goes back a lot further than that. It, it right. all has to do once again with a hermetic principle, mm-hmm. uh, the hermetic that, principle of gender. It's exactly what it's called. Man was uh, perfect so, until till God pulled the rib out, and then now we got to put him back together to make him perfect again. Yeah, it's it's it falls on that kind of a lines of thinking with a lot of that, but yeah. uh, it largely has to do uh, once again with this inversion idea. Uh, you know, and it all ties to uh, what's called post-genderism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever explored that that topic, but it directly leads to transhumanism. It's one and the same thing. I talk about that actually in my second book. It's called The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ties to the autism epidemic there, too, just, you know, so you're aware. It all ties together with this whole transhumanism thing. They always tie together. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh, transhumanism. I I tell people this all the time. Transhumanism is the big daddy conspiracy that's going on in the world today. All the other stuff that we talk about on these conspiracy shows and stuff are all symptoms of that same thing. It all leads to transhumanism. That's the big one that underlies all of it. Uh, So if you're talking about, you know, the chemtrail conspiracy, uh, you know, the UFO alien agenda conspiracy, uh, you know, the occult satanist conspiracy whatever you know broad terms you want to use government corruption it all lines up into this transhumanist phase of things and that's it underlies everything it's the end goal to all of it Mm. it is most definitely all roads lead to the transhumanist agenda um man (laughs) and all roads basically lead to satan that's that's like yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's well, that's where it all goes. Um, somebody was saying earlier today about Klaus Schwab. I had a question about Klaus Schwab. Um, he's the – how important is somebody like a Klaus Schwab, do you think? Uh, I think he's a spokesperson for right. uh, what the dark occultists in this world want. Um, I, I would put him as maybe like you know a, a mid-upper level – kind of person uh, calling some shots he's, he's one of the the key people that uh goes ahead and you know tries to uh mold the next generation for a lot of these different things and and that's why he has uh, a lot of different people who were you know interns at world economic forum mm-hmm. in positions of power in right. world governments right now they openly uh, that, that's all what that. he was designed to do that's that's what his job is and he talks largely about the fourth industrial revolution <laughs> and how you will own nothing and you will be happy uh, the, the guy's like a james bond villain let's be honest he even dresses like one i <laughs> so, think his accent's fake I, <laughs> hey we called that a long time ago how good are we with accents around here skull yeah yeah dude. yeah so i yeah klaus schwab now the evil german i mean come on <laughs> the evil german rothschild jew like yeah, wow, it's like a villain straight out of a Ben Hur separate. Hold on, have we? <laughs> nice. Um, the, oh, I, this, let me mention the hill, the villain out of the Ben Hur separate movie. Be the other um, Austrian Jew with a bad German accent. You know Hitler, right? That's the other one that they call the Rothschild Jew. They, they call Klaus Schwab a Rothschild Jew too. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you actually look at his background, he is technically in the Rothschild clan. So, yeah, I mean, the genetics. See, that's are actually. It's true, always though. it's always yeah. the same. You know, groups of people. Yeah. Uh, there's They're a great book out there. They're all related. Uh, people want to check it out. It's called uh, the Thirteen Royal Family Illuminati Royal Illuminati Family Bloodlines or something like that uh, oh, by Fritz Springmeier. The Illuminati. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. The I Fritz Springmeier book it, that Reinhardt gives out everywhere he goes. Oh, the, the, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's important to know that book. because it's always these, you know, these couple of families that turn up all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, you know, the names might be a little different or something right now. Uh, but if you trace their lineage, you always find out that's where it goes. Crazy so, how nature do that. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it's Not almost like, like inbred or anything. Well, yeah, it's almost <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. Okay, so Klaus Schwab is like definitely putting on the accent. It's definitely he's the bad guy, villain you're allowed to hate, wearing the wearing the weird outfit out of like a Dune movie. Um, and everybody that he's put in positions of power, like your, your Jacinda Ardern's, um, your, uh, Justine Castro, um, the, uh, he's Boris, like there's so many that he's put out. Oh, yeah. There. Macron, Macron and, uh, you know, and Trudeau, all those now, guys. Those, that was, that was my, yeah. Justin Trudeau's Justine Castro is the joke. Yep. Yeah. Even. Putin and Putin too, right? Yeah, you always see yeah. him with Putin, and people are like, "Oh, well, you know, Putin's so based, bro." I, I'm so tired of that. They still have Holocaust denial laws, right? Yeah, yep. like both countries, <laughs> both countries made it illegal to deny the Holocaust. So, like, eh. they, they had I vaccine mean, mandates, right? They uh, have no. vaccine mandates, right? And like, th- dude, we need to go to war for Ukraine. They, they persecute gays. I mean, okay. Yeah, like sure. that's not a oh. that doesn't that doesn't make me want to get up and do anything. Russia sent in the evil Chechens, right? <laughs> and they're Muslim, I, right? I've heard that those evil dogs, the Chechens, are just murdering people. Like, come on, this sounds a lot like. I mean, it doesn't I wouldn't put it past Russia. You know, they did do that with the Mongols. I mean, it's like they spent. It's like they just sent in like the Russian Expendables or something. There was a video <laughs> today of Chechens like waltzing into Kiev. Yeah. I mean, oh, here's here's the one that kills me. Okay, I, uh, we had the news on earlier today. It was World News Tonight or something like that because there was nothing else on the TV. Uh, so we had that on just you know for background noise or something. And I looked up for a second and I saw here's this uh, reporter down there uh, and they're showing it's a playground and there's there's this uh, missile sitting there stuck in the ground. Oh, this this uh, what did they say on unexploded ordinance landed near a playground and there they are the the reporter and the cameraman standing there just filming it. Yeah. Cause that's something you would do (laughs) if this was legitimately dangerous, you know, like not having a bomb squad or something there trying to disarm it or anything. No, no, nothing. Just, you know, here's this unexploded ordinance sitting here at the side of the road uh, next to the playground where kids could have been playing. And, you know, you've got your, your, bonehead reporter and cameraman standing there filming the whole thing. So, uh, but you know, people will eat that up and really think it's a legit thing. I watched a hilarious one yesterday where this reporter was, uh, it was Don Lemon and he was interviewing this guy that was in Ukraine 
And the guy's like, they hear this explosion somewhere in the distance. And the guy's like, oh, I need to put on my flak jacket now. And he starts putting it on and he puts it on backwards. And he's got the microphone under the flak jacket. And he's trying to figure out how to put his helmet on. And he's fumbling around with it. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, okay, I've got my flak jacket on now. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. In the meantime, there's a tourist in the background taking a picture with the phone. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) That was the same guy. That was the same guy that earlier... The, uh, there was an earlier shot of him, and he was like, "Oh, there was another explosion way over there where you can't see. It's over there, but it's <laughs> yeah. trust me, there was an explosion. And there's another one. I better get down. I think I better get. Da- Do I get down? Do I get down? Do I need to? I don't think I need it. <laughs> yes, that was definitely an explosion. Trust me, guys. I can see it myself. We're not going to point the camera in that direction, but there was an explosion. <laughs> like, it's it's so much dog wagging yeah that's almost as bad as uh when in the early 90s i don't know if you guys remember this one or not uh cnn did a report about uh over uh when the the first gulf war was taking place and it was the reporter and and stuff there and they were actually at the the cnn studios in atlanta using a green screen at the time but they they were supposedly live uh in you know Tel Aviv or wherever it was at the time and when the, there was supposedly a rocket attack and the guy's putting on the flak jacket and it was just really, really bad and they got caught because they had trouble with the green screen and stuff like that. The, the, the clip is still up on YouTube. You can find it. But yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that's as bad as it gets. They were faking that they were over there reporting that this attack was taking place and stuff. And the guy was actually putting on his his flak jacket and everything and and getting down under the desk and stuff on camera and stuff like that. It was but that's the kind of thing they do. They've been doing this for a long time. And if people trust the news media, well, uh, that that's part of the, the whole mind game they play, isn't it? Yeah, it's all part of the I don't social know what to tell you at this point. mind control programming. People that still trust the television. Like I don't I don't know what to tell you, guy. Like you <laughs> not gonna make it. Yeah, not make it status, not gonna. Oh, uh, I, I do see a lot of people that are, you know, being more savvy and waking up to a lot of this stuff now. Uh like honestly, like people that years ago, if you were to have this conversation with them we're having right now, they would think you were totally out of your mind, you know? But now a lot of people are like, yeah, I know it's fake. I mean, look how fake it is. And they're seeing through it now. And that's part of the times we're living in. I mean, this is like the time of revelation. The veil's being lifted. Uh, it's it's always kind of been this way. It's been corrupt. We just haven't seen it before. But now we're seeing it. And, you know, that that's all part of the age we're living in, the age of deception. And the, the curtain's being lifted. And people are beginning to see through the lies and deceptions now. Uh, because it's it's that time. I mean, it's it's all part of the the cyclical nature of what we're going through here. That is true. That is true. Well, we are coming up to the end of the second hour. Do uh, either of you guys can I ask one more? Can I ask one more question? Real okay. That, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Skull. Um, Wayne, what do you think's in the vax? What do I think's in the vax? Um, yeah. Well, from the very beginning, I kind of had an inkling this whole thing uh, was some kind of a nanotech. Uh, So, you know, what that consists of, who could say for sure? I mean, a lot of people have speculated it's graphene. Uh, Some independent researchers and scientists have looked at some of this stuff under microscopes and have done experiments and stuff on it and seen all kinds of concerning things in there. Uh, All that stuff you kind of have to take with a grain of salt, though, because... I don't personally know these people, so I don't know if they're trustworthy or if they're just put out there as misinformation because that's the nature of things anymore. Uh, you really have to, like, you know, 
take in all the information you can about something, but use your discernment. And at the same time, don't say something's absolutely true without really knowing for sure or being able to trust the source. Uh, but uh, in my view, it's it, it's undeniable that they've used nanotechnology in this because of uh, just the nature of how these mRNA vaccines work. Uh, so that's 100% certainty. It's it's nanotechnology being used. Now, it's the nature of that nanotechnology that's in question. Uh, we've seen, um, you could go back and look at scientific studies about this when they first started trying to do these gene therapies, and that's what this is. It didn't even medically qualify as a vaccine until they just changed the definition to make it a vaccine. Uh, it was a gene therapy, and when they were doing these gene therapies, experimenting with the first SARS-CoV-1, uh, they were doing experiments in ferrets and different kinds of animals there, and they were showing that it had some really nasty pathogenic effects on the organs of these animals, like the liver and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, that being the case, they also recorded what they were calling um, antibody-dependent enhancement in some of these studies, and uh, it was causing more problems than what it was helping to solve. So they, they scrapped it for a long time, or at least allegedly that's what they said. They scrapped this uh, for a long time because they didn't think it was going to be viable uh, because of all the problems they were having with it. But then, lo and behold, all of a sudden, they come out uh, mid-2020 and say they're starting to develop a vaccine. And wouldn't you know, they have it ready in early 2021, right? Mm -hmm. And usually it takes them about 10 years for research and development for a vaccine of any sort. Well, this they got it done in like six months. And then they somehow mass produced it uh, when they didn't have the production capacities to get anywhere near of these number of doses out to what they have so far, even still. And then add into that the problem of this, quote unquote, supply chain crisis we have. Well, this supply chain crisis has not affected the vaccines at all, has it? That should have people shaking their heads. So, And you would think that would be one of the things logistically that first would be an issue, especially since some of these required very specific refrigeration protocols to ship them. Uh, so, you know, with that being the case, um, <laughs> you, you, could, you could see the writing on the wall. Uh, I personally think they had these sitting warehoused and ready to go, uh, many of these doses long beforehand, uh, just simply because of the, the logistics of it, the supply chain. Uh, side of it and you know considering even still now there's still plenty of these sitting around i mean you could go down to your local grocery store the drug store your church a school wherever they they all have them some of the places you don't even need to make an appointment just walk in they'll gladly give you this thing for free and if they're giving you something for free you're the product uh, so keep that in mind um but yeah i mean in my view there's some type of nanotech going on and in my view uh, it's a eugenics based weapon and that's what it is and it's designed for uh, slow kill depopulation purposes and I've been warning people for this about this uh, for the past five years now <laughs> you know out in public and so uh, that this kind of thing was coming but you know it is what it is that is definitely true it is something <laughs> we're going to see effects of this for years and years to come, um, starting now with the myocarditis, pericarditis, periocarditis, excuse me, um, and the other issues that are going on. Dude, you know kids get strokes? What's wrong with you? You don't know that kids <laughs> yeah. get strokes? Oh, that that one, that that just, that floors me even still. They're trying to normalize kids having strokes and heart attacks right, and stuff right. like Dude, that. Dude, what are you talking about? Like my yeah. kid's soccer league last year, three kids died. What's wrong with you? Like it happens every year. 
What? You don't see kids <laughs> die? Like, and people act like that, though. Like, there are people yeah. that are just pretending that that's normal. They have well, yeah, I mean, middle school or death syndrome. Right. Oh, yes, sudden adult sen- adult death syndrome. Yeah. Yipper, that's that's a real thing that suddenly came about mm-hmm. along with all this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, not to mention that, uh, you know, other vaccines in the past, they've tied things like SIDS and autism and everything right. else to. Right. And it's, you Where's know, showing the mass die-off? Uh, contraindications right in the vaccine that's, package inserts and everything, too. But you, you can't tell people that because, yeah. you know, the CDC says they're good. So they must be, right? Well, then you get the people like, oh, come on, man. Where's the mass die-off? I'm not seeing a mass die-off. <laughs> Look at the bears numbers. I like, mean, like that's self-reported, man. That's like not true either. Okay, yeah, so well, what else? That's you... not self-reported because no. that they're you know up until uh, this whole thing went down with this new uh, coronavirus vaccine bit, people largely didn't even know the bears system even existed. Even doctors, even, right. doctors. Well, even if you think about the self-reporting, it was like, well, that would necessarily indicate that it's underreported because most people aren't going to take the initiative to self-report. Well, Harvard so actually did a study, and they showed in the study that only somewhere between 1% and 10% of all vaccine injuries even get reported. Right. <laughs> so, like, if you look at that, I mean, statistically, uh, when we see what's turning up in the VAERS system now, and if you look at the um, the international uh, uh, systems that are similar to VAERS, look at all the numbers of that stuff showing up, and then realize that, uh, you know, a lot of this is underreported by a factor of 100 100 uh, that's a huge number of people and yep. we're, you know we're just talking about deaths and uh, all the serious adverse events from this so i mean when you look at that i mean it, it's it's huge it's and huge and a, a lot of this stuff it. gets shoved under the rug too yeah it's just a year into it too who knows what's coming down the line five years from now well that's the thing i mean a lot of the the researchers and stuff i've seen that uh, are familiar with how these gene therapies have worked in the past in animal studies are saying somewhere between you know uh, three and ten years we'll start to see a lot of really really bad effects from this so i mean this is just the beginning phase and we're already seeing myocarditis and people you know developing all these new autoimmune disorders and uh, vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome vades Yes, vaccine AIDS. Vaccine AIDS for that over in the UK now. They're 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 telling people to go get AIDS tested now that have had the shots over in the UK. Skull. It's 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 ridiculous. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. Everybody has AIDS. Everyone has AIDS. AIDS. Who would have known that they were telling us the truth in the movies, right? Oh, I I mean, we did. (laughs) I mean, we did. We. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. We did. We call we call a lot of these Wayne. We call a lot of these things, and we. I get don't know called, how we got. We never met before, guys. I, I really don't, because you guys like um, I vibe with you on a lot of different levels. We we inhabit an area of the internet get that gets banned a lot for some of the yeah, stuff we talk about. Me too. So <laughs> yeah, why. we get we get banned for being the ones who notice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they keep us in our little compartmentalized boxes pretty well. Right. Yeah, they're they're good with the echo chamber concept for sure. Absolutely. Um. But yeah, man, this is great having you on. Um, yeah, it's been great to be here. I've had a blast. I, absolutely, dude. I'd love to have you back on anytime. We're going to get you. Actually, what we're going to do is I'm going to get everybody a copy of your book. We're going to read it. And then, then we you can come back and we can talk about your new book. Okay. Sounds so, great. Awesome. I, I'd be happy to do it. I mean, like I said, it's been a pleasure. So awesome. anytime. Anything you want to uh, tell anybody out there where they can find you, uh, websites, any, anything? 
Yeah, it could primarily be found over at uh, www.rockfin.com backslash Wayne McCroy. Rockfin spelled R-O-K-F-I-N. And Wayne McCroy is W-A-Y-N-E-M-C-R-O-Y. Um, also, uh, they could also find me uh, every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my colleague and one of my best friends and I, Jason Lingren, uh, we do Secrets of Saturn over on Rockfin. Uh, we do a, a live stream every Wednesday night where we usually cover some kind of white paper or government document or something of the sort that talks about, you know, important things going on in the world. Like we've covered uh, things like central bank digital currency and uh, all sorts of other things, a lot of transhumanism stuff, uh, things of that nature. And uh, I, so that's that's over on Rockfin as well. Secrets of Saturn, it would just be backslash Secrets of Saturn. And also, I'm a frequent guest and contributor over at Crow Triple Seven Radio. That's C R R O W seven 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 Radio dot com. Uh, so you can check me out there as well. And I also have the books available that can be found on Amazon. Uh, so you know, that being the case, those are my prime uh, primary contact points where if people wanted to find me. I also run a page on Facebook called Files from the Conspiratorium, which has also been heavily censored and it's hard <laughs> to find anymore. So, um, you know, <laughs> you know the nature of the beast, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's about it. So I, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on. And yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah we'll, get, we'll get back in touch with you soon as soon as we get, we get done reading that new book. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks All again. Right. Take it easy, yeah, man. thanks, Wayne. Take care. Thank pleasure. you so much. Thanks. All right. All right, guys. Johnny Minox. That was Wayne McRae. What? Oh, nothing, nothing. Oh. That was Wayne McRae, guys. That was cool, man. Yeah, well, that seriously was awesome. We're, right, we're still recording. Awesome. We're still recording. So, I'm I'm understanding we're still recording. That okay. was just cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure. Okay. I don't want Ryan Hart to get like two out of you know. Start gushing. <laughs> start gushing. I'm fine. All right. All right. All right. Now that was great. Um, he answered again. He answered like just about every question that we didn't even ask. The guy was like in our heads. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happens when you're at this point that we've gotten to where, uh, right. I mean, yeah. we're not down the rabbit holes anymore. We are actively. Like, we're in involved. the Warren. Yeah. We're in the Warren underground. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're just kind of like feeling around in the mist a little bit and we just kind of see each other and we're like, Oh sweet. You're down here too. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. First time. It's like that meme. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Ah. Well, that was fun. All right. Wayne McRoy's new book. We will be getting those. We will be reading it. We will be discussing it with Wayne McRoy. All right. We're going to get out of here. There will be a creepypasta following this. Um, you can check out all of Wayne's stuff down below. You can check out all of our stuff down below. Um, we will have this hosting thing solved soon, I promise. Not soon, TM, but actually soon. <laughs> like, I mean it this time. All right. Anybody got anything they want to add before we get out of here? Uh, no. Mm, that was no, fun. I don't think so. 
All right. Cool. Yeah. Yes. I love interview shows. I don't have to do a lot of work, you know. Just let the guests. <laughs> you ask the questions, let the guests tell tell their stuff. It's great. We have more guests planned for the season. It's so. cool when someone comes on and they know stuff that you don't know. Yeah. That's always that's, good too. Love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, now now I feel really crappy about the National Health Enquirer cover. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's like, still, a, no, it's it's okay. still a, a meme though. Yeah. Right. It's, oh, it's definitely a meme. It's probably seeded by the CIA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So whatever. Whatever. Oh no, we got got by the CIA. Oh, okay. One out of a million. First first time? Yeah. It's actually, yeah, like first time. It's been it's been a while since we got got. I still don't think I got got with that uh, that rabbi. Uh, you remember the the audio of that one rabbi, Abe Finkelstein, talking about how he feeds they feed kids to the McDonald's. That was crazy. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't not believe that. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely in the realm of possible things right. that could be possible. Right. Right. That's why. And I this is say. how we don't need to do mea culpas very often. That's right. Right. That's right. All right. We're going to get out of here. We will see you next week in, at the Nationalist Inquirer. We're, um, check us out on Telegram. Shirts. I don't know what's going on with the shirts. I messaged a guy. Uh, we'll see what's going on with that. If you haven't gotten your shirt, message the guy at Dissident Apparel and tell him. So there's that. All right. We'll see you all later. Time travel makes you gay. Let me tell you the story of the Lost Ones. They were from a far-off realm in a land of prosperity and enlightenment. Those we refer to as such were able to reach a grand technological age. Records of their progress are lost to time, but it seems as though the species had a fascination with artifice. The beings were able to craft grand golems to replace heavy labor, and automatons that could fit in the palm of your hand were employed to carry out mundane, daily tasks. A small window of utopia seems possible with such fantastical achievement, though for this species, the luxury inevitably brought their demise. The technological age turned for a short time to a golden age, where the Lost Ones were able to freely delve into esoteric knowledge. Though their humanity was quickly usurped for efficiency. It is said that the lines began to blur when the organic life assimilated the technical capabilities of the clockwork mechanisms. Further eyesight, keener hearing, a metaphysical sense of touch and experience even. Eventually, inner organs were replaced with artificial clockwork mechanisms to extend the lives of the species by superior and unnatural spans of time. The perfect clockwork mechanism is said to reach a point of sentience, a self-awareness. Maybe the concept of destiny is the call of curiosity the machines hear loudest. I cannot speak for them, but it does seem to be that organic and synthetic life do not share the same means to an end. While the clockwork horrors were originally made to help with resource management, it would seem as though they see their purpose as such for they are an exemplary case of resource management. All organic matter is broken down to mineral content and reorganized in a manner for which the horrors can continue replication. So it wouldn't seem to be personal, really, 
when they quickly identify living organisms as adversarial to self-replication. The clockwork horrors turned against those who created them. Only barely human husks themselves. It seemed a fitting end for a species who refused to let the passage of time claim their mortality. Eventually, they consumed all organic life, leaving strip mines in their wake, right down to the bedrock. A sterile plain. Now, the clock is winding again. Here in our realm, the progenies of Apocalypse begin to build. And I fear we will be the next Lost Ones. <laughs>